On August 28, 2020, the world lost Chadwick Boseman. I don't think I have the best words to talk about him, so I am going to actually read the tweet that announced his passing. Chadwick was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer in 2016 and battled with it these last four years as it progressed to stage 4. A true fighter, Chadwick persevered through it all and brought you many of the films you have come to love so much. From Marshall to Defy Bloods, August Wilson's Ma, Rainey's Black Bottom, and several more, all were filmed during and between countless surgeries and chemotherapy. It was the honor of his career to bring King T'Challa to life in Black Panther. He died in his home with his wife and family by his side. Everything I've ever heard about Chadwick has been overwhelmingly positive. His fellow actors just seemed to love him and respected him to a great degree. And I was certainly shocked by this when Donovan texted me about it. And just to learn that he had been filming and training and was able to keep it from really defining his life, the cancer that he had, I I think speaks highly to what a powerful and strong human being and man that he was. And so I, I think Despite the sadness that we certainly all are feeling and his family also feels, I I think that just right there, he he has an exclamation point to his name with how much he went through and that he was he just seemed to be on top. And and again, yeah, using that word perseverance right there. And so I think that is just amazing. I will just end this by saying that my prayers and thoughts are with his family and his close friends as well. Requiescat in pace, Mr. Bozeman. The NAACP were not like most lawyers. We only represent innocent people, people accused because of their race. That's our mission. Let them get to you. I won't. God built me to last. When I hit that stage, two people better be ready. Especially the white mom. Watch me sack him four times in one game, then watch what happens after. And as you can see, I am not dead. Be useful. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. 
debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls.
Salwete Mihi Nomen Est Stella at Hawk Est Vacro the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 197 for September MMXX. Vacro the Oracle is brought to you by Comics with Normies, which everyone could probably use. I have so many Normie friends. Hello there. This is Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist, with a quick podcast promo for my show, Comics with Normies. Here's how the show works. Using my yard sailing skills, I acquire a random comic book from a yard sale. I then give said random comic to a normie. A normie being a person who doesn't normally read comic books. Then, on the show, I'll sit down with the normie to discuss the issue. Get a real outsider's point of view and see what some of the comics that we love, and maybe not love so much, seem like to those normal folks we see walking around on the streets each day. It should be a fun perspective and good for a few laughs. You can check out the Comics with Normies podcast, along with some other fun-filled podcasts from White Rocket Entertainment, on iTunes and at whiterocket.podbean.com. And feel free to join the show using Twitter handle at Normies Podcast or on Facebook at Comics with Normies. Once again, you can find Comics with Normies on iTunes and at whiterocket.podbean.com. We'll see you there. Backer the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Well, as you can see, I have friend of the podcast, friend of mine, Eisner award-winning author and author of the recently released Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, which you can see here, uh, Militarism and Feminism in Comics and Film. It is Professor Carolyn Coco. Welcome back. Hello. My second video podcast (laughs) with you. How does it feel? Just as great as the first time, except of course I'm missing Donovan. Oh, that guy. Yeah, I told him actually, I guess it was the beginning of this week, I said, just so you know, I'm going to betray you on Sunday. And he said, what? And I said, just, you know, I'm just forewarning you because we're going to do some Batgirl issues without him. So Cassandra came Batgirl. He doesn't know why or how I'm betraying him. He just knows. So I'm sure once we start talking about it, he'll feel the knife go in. But it is, it's great to, to have you on there. And that book literally just came out this week, did it not? Just came out this week. Yes. Yeah. So don't buy the hardcover. <laughs> yeah, I'm really good at selling. No, the hardcover is really for libraries. Buy the ebook okay. because it's under $20 and it has color illustrations in it. I would hold up a hardcover, except I don't even have it yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> Man, see how far you rank. Yeah, we've had yeah. actually this discussion twice now because I keep checking back on eBay and it's six, not eBay, Amazon, and it's $60. And I'm like, don't buy that. And then I say, but I like to have a hardcover so you can sign it when I see you next and, you know, for me to make notes. And then you say, oh, you can make notes digitally. So... That is true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have the ebook yet even either. I mean, it, it really just came out like okay. two two days ago. Yeah. Wasn't it the 28th officially? The 27th is what okay. it said on the website, but I think it really was the 28th. Okay. So that means though that you'll probably be coming on the podcast soon. 
once I read it to have a serious discussion about that, actually. So so soon. I'm here now. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. Uh, well, I, you know, on a serious note, uh, I got called in by HR, which is basically Kimberly Rockmore working remotely because I had mentioned in previous episodes that I'm intolerant of people who are intolerant of other cultures and the Dutch. And she said, you can't say that. And so I've invited you on because you are of Dutch origin, aren't you? <laughs> uh oh, I'm oh boy, but I do have some jokes for you. Are you ready for this? Now these are jo- <laughs> are they as funny as your are you Dutch joke? Well, that was I guess it fell flat, but that's okay. I knew you weren't Dutch. I just thought it'd be funny to say. So these are jokes that are not safe for work that women can say to men, but probably shouldn't say to men. Are you ready? Okay. I like my men like I like my commuter car. Silent. <laughs> Okay. A guy walks into a bar. It's a low one. So he gets a raise within his first six months on the job. And finally, did you hear the one about the woman who reported sexual harassment? Of course you didn't. She was forced to sign an NDA. Okay. That one's funny. Okay. Finally. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I've got a website for this of basically jokes. You can't tell your male comrades because they get upset. Here we come to it. Comrades, they'll be okay with it. Probably. So now I want to ask you seriously, because this was brought up two episodes ago. I I think I mentioned your name and I said that I've kind of thrown you into the Stella personality pool, the deep end, because we had started off professionally and then I just threw you in and started making jokes and things like that. And so I told the, the listeners that I would ask you if you're doing okay, if this was jarring to you. Have you been okay swimming in this this deep end of my uh, my personality? I kind of threw you in there. You, you mean that I have to be on guard when I listen to BTO because all of a sudden my name might pop up? <laughs> Basically, yes. And I treat you now like I treat anyone else. I think we've kind of dropped the the professionalism, unless we're talking about your your work. Yeah, I think what you're saying is, am I okay with knowing that you might make fun of me at any moment publicly? And yes. Yeah. I'm cool with that. That's fine. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Donovan was thinking that uh, you've you've become more comfortable with us as well. And I think I said, I think so. She uh, insults me now, which always shocks me. But now it's, I like it. Uh, yes, I consider you both my friends. Um, and um, I hope we can see each other in person again. Oh, yes. Yeah. Whether or not it's accompanying a Broadway play or not. Yeah, I hope so. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, my other two discussion points are actually, I've just said serious like three different times, but recently Gotham Knights, the video game has released a trailer and I sent that to you. And they also released about a seven minute gameplay trailer so you could actually see and they actually had the player control Batgirl. So with Gotham Knights, it's a world without Batman. The Bat Jerk is finally dead and you, <laughs> you have Nightwing, Tim Drake Robin, Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, and Jason Todd as Red Hood, and you can control these four. I'm thinking, I mean, I know it's open world. I'm thinking it's probably RPG-like, just that you control your one person throughout the entire story, and you level them up and things like that. But I just wondered if we could talk about what you've seen from the trailer, and even if you watch the gameplay, your thoughts on Barbara Gordon's presentation. And then I do have a description of her that has come from the Gotham Knights creators, which is interesting just because I I think there's one point that we'll both 
kind of a side eye or give it a side eye to. So this is what they describe her as. Few people can match Barbara Gordon in terms of raw willpower and determination. Barbara has always been a person of action. In her mind, backing down is never an option. Having one of Gotham City's most well-known police commissioner as a father had a massive impact on her. Jim Gordon gave his life for Gotham, and now she wants to make sure it wasn't in vain. So Jim is also dead in this reality. After a face-off that puts Barbara in a wheelchair, she became Oracle, a powerful information and communications expert. Here we go, though. But her father's death spurred her to train and recover from her wounds so that she could return to active duty as Batgirl. Barbara is highly trained in a variety of fighting styles, such as kickboxing, capoeira, which I should have looked what up what that is in jiu-jitsu. Her signature weapon is the tonfa. Barbara is, <laughs> that's actually different there. Barbara also displays great skill when it comes to hacking or coding in computers and technological systems to dig for inter- information. And that's the end of it. So thoughts on that description and then what you had seen from that gameplay trailer that I showed you as well. All right. Well, with the description, I mean, when I was writing my last book, that had a chapter about Barbara Gordon, I read a lot of um, disability theory and particularly feminist disability theory and disability studies. And what a lot of people who professionally write about that topic talk about is that a major problem with representations of disability is this idea of there always has to be a cure narrative. And that if you are a person living with a disability, you you just need to be fixed. So that, you know, so one, then two, and then three, this also does the third thing, which is if you just have the willpower, uh, you can just over overcome that disability. That's not real. You know, being mad that your father died doesn't give you the physical ability to just not be paralyzed anymore. That just doesn't make sense. So all three of those things together seem to be present in that description. And that's what's unfortunate. When, um, when Batgirl, when Barbara Gordon as Batgirl was sort of rebooted in 2011, most people who were fans who wrote to Gail Simone and wrote to DC said that they were disappointed that, you know, a real, one of the only nuanced characters with a disability had been taken away. And what did you really need Barbara Gordon to be Batgirl for? There were other Batgirls. There was, however, Gail Simone said, a small small number of letters that said that there were people with disabilities who said they wanted Barbara to be able to walk again because it was like a wish fulfillment thing, you know, like they couldn't be cured in real life. I shouldn't even use the word cure. They couldn't regain, they, no, not regain either. They couldn't have that kind of mobility in real life. And so it was gratifying to, you know, root for their character to have that mobility um, in a fictional world. So, yeah, I think, it seems to me like it's very similar to the way that they're treating disability in the current Batgirl run, which is like you turn it on and you turn it off um, as it serves the plot. And that's not how it works. It's just not how it works. Yeah. Uh, Which was, I suppose the positive thing from the Oracle code graphic novel, because it did get to that point of, I, there's nothing that I need to fix of myself or I don't need to be fixed. So that was one of those positive things. So I I get what you're saying there. Yeah. Is that what you were annoyed about also? And that just, yeah, absolutely. Just the, you know, that you can train through basically being paraplegic and then you'll, you'll be better. And I think it was Donovan told me that this is an alternate timeline to Arkham Knights. Mm 
So in Arkham Knights, that was when they had revisited the killing joke. She was there and uh, she was actually Oracle in that. And she was in a relationship with Tim as far as I, I, I didn't play it for the killing joke reason. I was like, oh, I'm not playing that. So that if that's the reason why she was in the wheelchair and now they've gone this this different route to, to bring her back. I mean, I love seeing her as Batgirl and the fact that, oh, I could play a game with Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. Yes. Yeah. But to have that as her backstory, I think, is unfortunate because why not have her start as Batgirl and then maybe, you know, in a future game, if you had this timeline, have her as Oracle and maybe have a another Batgirl and she's... Yeah, the mentor to it. So it's just, yeah, I, it's the same thing that we've complained about with the comics. Absolutely. Just, I I think people don't really understand how best to deal with this. But you know what they could do is they could hire someone that does know. (laughs) That would be an option. That would be the hope. But as we found out from Margaret Scott, storylines get forcibly changed and the writer has basically no, I don't know, no voice. It seems. Yeah, I think it's kind of limited agency, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the idea that you can that you can just choose to play Barbara Gordon is great. Like it sounds like from what you said that it's not one of those things where you have to get rewarded to be able to play the the female character. Like you can just play it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's what it seems and, like. So you can choose your character and play the entire time. I don't know if you can switch off if you want to, but yeah, that's great. And and or that you're forced to play her for a particular mission or something like that. Cause I would willingly choose and just looking at her, it looks like she's completely capable. I'm not sure about the Tonfa as her weapon, you know, if know anything what is what is a Tonfa from what, so I'd have to look it up. I'd have to do the Google nading as my friend Sam said, but I'm pretty sure. Cause I saw the image it's the stick, but you're holding like in a perpendicular handle. So kind of like a, uh, what a policeman would use or as a yeah physique. yep that's that is what it is yeah a nightstick mm-hmm. yeah so that's the only thing yeah i that's mean not a, no yeah. that's not her thing i mean when she was oracle she used the, the scream sticks right. the two sticks and yeah. you know like what we are going to talk about shortly yep. um, in classic birds of prey when she uses them she almost always wins yeah for sure I don't maybe they wanted something distinct from Nightwing because you saw him use his. But as Batgirl, though, she didn't really have weapons that she would always, you know, Tim would have his bow staff and Nightwing's got his. So she was more hands on, I would say. And then depending on the situation, she would have gadgetry. But maybe they just really wanted you to have that so you can upgrade your weapons and, you know, then the skill tree. I don't know. I wonder if it's because, you know, the newer iterations of Barbara Gordon supposedly wanted to be a cop and her father wouldn't let her. Mm, yeah. Not classic Barbara, but new Barbara. Yeah. You know, classic Barbara with a PhD and a brown belt in judo who was a professional librarian and a congresswoman. <laughs> but she's not that anymore. So anyway, maybe this weapon, because it's kind of associated with cops. Mm, yeah, could be right. But no, uh, I've never seen her with that before. Yeah. And then what do you think about her outfit, too? I like the purple. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good with that. I would have preferred the leather jacket purple, but I like the purple. Yeah. It seems like an amalgamation of the burn side with what we're currently doing, especially with, and you made this comment when I texted with you, of the, I guess you call them like the ears or whatever. 
Because at first, point of the ears. I don't know. I don't know. But it seems like at first you do have the current cowl that we're seeing in this in the run right now, and then at the end of the trailer, you started to see her actually have a full cowl. So I don't know if that's upgrading or as the story progresses, because even in the trailer, it was like you become a, it was weird, a weird progression from like a something to a vigilante to a hero or as vigilante hero. And I thought, what are they? Well, yeah. And then an actual knight. And then with the knight, you had that full thing. So it seems like there's progression, but yeah, so I will probably wait. I don't think I'll pre-order it because I would like to have more information about how well the character is dealt and I don't want to get heart sick over a game that I'm playing really. <laughs> so I think I'll wait, but it's exciting to see her in there. Yeah, it's great. And then the last thing I want to talk to you about is I said death of the author. And you said, is this in regards to the Barth's essay? Is that how you pronounce his name? Barth. Barth. Okay. The Barth essay. And I said, no, not really. It kind of is, but not really. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that essay is stating basically that biographical information or context should have no bearing on what the author has written. It's yeah. I mean, some people theorize that the author's intent, you know, you should know what it was and that's the interpretation of the story that you would have. And then there are people like that, like Barth on the other side who were like, it doesn't matter at all reception is everything how you interpret the story is the story and then there are people who are kind of more in the middle yeah i'm sure that's the debate that rages on in english classes across the nation (laughs) i'm going to change it slightly to death of the artists and what i i'm thinking about jk rowling and i'm thinking even about when harold and i had our conversation of the last of us and how there was controversy in the naughty dog office what do you do when the artist you find out something about the artist that perhaps makes them reprehensible or just something that you don't agree with. Do you, I don't know, do you boycott whatever has happened, whatever product or art that they have made? Do you just use your voice to go against it, but can you still engage with that? And and I think the harder thing is J.K. Rowling because Harry Potter has been a beloved I don't know, item, uh, art, piece of art for years for everyone. And then for her to come out and, and be what is known as a turf, which I think is a trans elite, right? Tr- no? Uh, exclusionary. Thank you. Trans exclusionary radical feminist. Is that it? Okay. And just to have all these negative things, I mean, what do you do with that? Because it's hard. You're a drop in the bucket if you're like, I'm not going to do anything. And you've probably already purchased your DVDs and your books. So how, how do we, do we separate ourselves from JK and like, we just appreciate this art form, but we're against her. Do you have any thoughts on this? I think all those examples you gave of what a person could do are pretty much what you can do. I, I do think, There is something, there's definitely some truth in what you just said about every one person is a drop in a bucket, but obviously when you put all the drops together, you can have a tsunami. So (laughs) no, I mean, that's, that's, that's the theory behind why, why social, why nonviolent social movements work. They work because of numbers. They work because of 100% compliance. You know, the number of people in power is really quite tiny compared to the number of everybody else. So that's true of an author as well. There's one author and there's a zillion potential readers. So you can't have a boycott of stuff you've already bought. (laughs) Yeah. 
you can, I think that you can contextualize, uh, you know, you can share the stuff you already bought with people that you would like to see the stories. And you can just kind of tell people that the stories are what they are. And the author, even though she somehow has written a whole beloved book series that has a lot to do with empathy and tolerance, has difficulty practicing that in her regular life. Just like we still teach about Thomas Jefferson, now plagiarizing the word, like you talked about this with your friend Sam, plagiarizing the words of, of John Locke for the Declaration of Independence about equality, but practicing, you know, the absolute opposite of equality in his regular life. It doesn't mean we throw away the idea of equality Mm -hmm. as one of our founding principles. So I think you can separate the two things, yes. But where your money goes, you can't quite separate. So I think that that is where you can share what you already have. (laughs) You can tell people to use libraries and you can use them yourself because the libraries only purchase one copy instead of you and all your friends purchasing multiple copies of that thing. If it can mean that you don't buy anything further, by the author, and that if a lot of people do that, they will get a message. Um, But someone who's so globally recognized and revered and wealthy as her, I'm not sure how much impact this is really going to have. Mm. Yeah. Do you think we should feel bad, especially, so I think a lot about, and I, I don't know why I can never remember his name, Kevin Spacey. I think a lot about him. Just I've already watched House of Cards. That was before all this stuff happened. Well, the last season I watched after which they took him out. So I, I suppose that was it. But I just wonder, like, if I wanted to, you know, watch a movie that is lauded, like Seven or something, should I feel bad that, ooh, you know, I'm about to rent this film and I know what Kevin Spacey has done or so that's that's the tricky thing that I'm trying to work through personally of how much should this affect my daily life and and what I choose to consume. Yeah, I think you I think that you can make your I mean, there are ways in which we should be a little bit uncomfortable every day. It's good to challenge the things that you think and it's good to take in new information. However, I think it's important to be politically comfortable in your everyday life. In other words, if you don't live according to what your political stances are, you're going to cause kind of an uncomfortable dissonance in yourself, right? You should practice what you preach. So if you feel like the example that you just gave, who I guess has been accused of serial sexual predation on young men, if you feel that that is wrong, then I think you should probably make a point to not put any more money in that man's pocket. So I guess that that's the problem is by doing that, you're also not putting money in other people's pockets who created that product with him. Yeah. So I think that short of trying to pressure a company to remove whatever was in his contract about a percentage of receipts <laughs> or something, um, you have to make that choice yourself. Is it okay to give him a tiny reward if I'm rewarding all the other people involved for their good product? Or can I not sit with myself if I know he's getting any reward from me? Yeah, man, it's it's interesting. I feel like I've matured so much in these, especially this podcast has, has helped me, you know, reading comics, which sounds 
odd that comics has helped me grow, but just seeing different types of people that I don't see in my everyday life has, has led me to consider new things. And so now if I watch things from the past and I'm like, oh no, Harvey Weinstein's, you know, produced this. Right. I recently watched Charlie's Angels from early 2000s and I thought, yikes, this is real male gaze stuff right here. And I was just watching it for background stuff because I think I was doing prep for the the previous episode of the podcast and so it's just like wow my eyes are really open and you're partially to blame for that. <laughs> frankly gosh Bechtel test and floating heads and uh can I yeah. show you my t-shirt now that you just said that sure okay it hey says girl. hey Uh-oh. girl know what passes the Bechtel test this shirt <laughs> So it's two Uh, two women having a very short conversation showing how easy it is to pass the test. Oh, that's classic. Yeah, I got this from from Geeks Out, LGBTQ plus uh, organization that usually has a booth at Comic-Cons. I got this at New York Comic-Con. Do they also have a website? I'm pretty sure they do, yeah. Okay. You said Geeks Out? Geeks Out. Okay. And I cut you off, but you said it's an LGBTQ plus. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. Well, that's it. That is all I had for our introduction. And I felt like we got some serious as well as some jokes. Only with you is an introduction already half an hour. How dare you, ma'am? How dare you? Am I wrong? We didn't start on time, so I can't say. Okay, we are now moving on to Find Your Joy segment. Shag's mac and cheese of comfort and joy. So what, Carolyn, has been giving you joy in these times? I think the answer is pretty much the same stuff I said the last time <laughs> we spoke, which is, uh, you know, there's there's a whole lot out there that as a human being and as a political scientist causes me uh, rage, you know, <laughs> Hulk level rage. Sure. I am always angry. So I need to, I have, I'm exercising more, doing more yoga and meditation. Those are definitely helpful things. I, we are part of a a CSA for the summer and fall. So every week I can go to the farm, which is only like a mile from my house and pick up my vegetables. And there's a part where you can pick your own stuff. I know it's super white of me to say that it's fun to pick vegetables for five minutes because <laughs> it is a really, really, really hard job. But it is really nice to sort of go and pick some tomatoes and clip some herbs and talk to other like-minded people that are trying to support local farms mm. and kinds of things. And then meanwhile, um, we in my household are trying to figure out how we're going to negotiate the fall and winter, assuming that all of us, you know, including my daughter who is going into high school, how we're all going to negotiate uh, being in the house together for several more months, um, at least, because she's going to do remote learning. Okay. So we're figuring that out. But in the meantime, we're trying to carve out time for things like learning how to play hearts, a card game I never played before. Uh, <laughs> trying to watch more movies together um, while also respecting when we try to go in different corners of the house because we need a little time apart. Yeah. Yep. Did your daughter have an option to go back in person or do remote? Yes and no. Um, The option is for a hybrid model to go back two days a week. But um, about a week and a half ago, they sort of announced they're really not ready for anybody to go back Hmm. on the first day of school. So everybody has to start remote. And this is mostly, they say, a supply chain issue. 
um, supplies having to do with sanitation and stuff just have not arrived. So they can't tell anyone what a start date is for starting hybrid. And they are having some difficulty being able to answer questions concretely about cleaning and ventilation, how you change classes in a high school uh, without kids poking at each other, (laughs) Um, how they're only going to allow one kid in the bathroom at a time. Oh, my. In high school between classes. Yeah. So it's just the logistics. I Look, they're doing their best, I'm sure, but their best isn't good enough for me to send my kid back to school. And I'm privileged enough to be able to have her at home mm-hmm. um, because I will be home. And um, she is very good about being disciplined with her time. And even if she weren't, we can be there with her. I mean, there's so many people who don't have that ability yeah. so that we're really lucky uh, that we can deal with it, but we shouldn't have to live this way. There's yeah. no, no reason that the last several months needed to be like this. Yeah. Don't get your rage. I see you turning green. I know, that. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the school that I used to work at, it it went full in, full in with physical stuff. And I'm sorry, five days. Five days. Yes, ma'am. And as far as I know, because I'm I'm still in contact with uh, a couple students, it has been working out. the The worst part has been, or the most difficult has been social distancing in the hall. And so that's when the kids are getting yelled at. And so I imagine it takes a long time to get to classes, which I think they actually increased every break between classes to 10 to account for this. But lunch is not together. There are particular rooms for lunch and masks are all on. And one of my students emailed me and said, there's no more lunch detention, which makes me very happy. And it's because she always got I think it was tardy or unprepared. It was probably unprepared and then also dress coding. And I, so I wrote back to her and I said, they probably stopped because of you. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I haven't had to deal with that, frankly. And the one bathroom, I don't know how they could deal with that. And my experience with the bathroom, are you okay with slight bathroom jokes? Are you going to get offended? Okay. So oftentimes we would get an email, a big email. So it'll go to the whole high school or something like that, that such and such went to the bathroom a while ago and hasn't come back. And so the thought is that they're up to no good. But my thinking is they're, they're probably number two, number two, and you're pressuring them, those poor kids. So what happens if someone, you know, has to do the number two and then what sure. <laughs> else is waiting? Or anything. I mean, they could just like need a minute yeah. because they're anxious about something. Yeah. It, there could be period related stuff happening. There are That's, all kinds yeah. of reasons, none of which are any of our business. So <laughs> imagine you're trying to change classes and yep. you know that eight people are outside the door. Yeah, man, I didn't even think about the uh, the emotional toll. And also there were countless times that girls went crying into the bathroom and then either a faculty member was asked, hey, could someone go check on such and such? Or a friend would come and gosh, do we get rid of that? You know, that comforting factor of someone who's having a breakdown. Oh, yeah, 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 it's rough. I think at my daughter's school, they were they're eating lunch at the desk where they are in the period that okay. should have been before lunch. Yeah. So, and they're going to be all spread out and I don't know, it sounds yeah. like not like you, you kind of want your kid to go back to school partly for the social aspect, sure. but there isn't really one. Yeah. It sounds pretty militarized. It would have to be. Yeah. And then hopefully they would be not just my daughter's school, but all schools, you know, some of them have been saying, gee, how are we going to enforce a mask requirement? But 
a lot of schools don't seem to have a problem enforcing, as you say, dress codes on girls. So if they can manage to police those things, um, I'm sure they can manage to tell people to put masks on. Absolutely. Yeah. My thinking was, and like I said, I think my school is doing well, but that should just be an instant detention because you are like causing harm to somebody. So if you would suspend someone, if they had a knife, then, you know, if you don't not wearing your mask properly, then yeah, they're both health hazards. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so you're doing some CSA, you're farming for five minutes at a time yes. <laughs> and getting out there. And yeah, I'm still getting out there now. And I have started rewatching the OC because I found it on HBO Max. And I started watching that in high school because a boy that I had a crush on really liked it. And so I started in like season two. I think I only watched season two and season three. So it's been fun to revisit. And also Seth Cohen is a nerd. And so you see him reading comics. And so it's fun to see the comic set he's reading. I saw an Azriel Agent of the Bat. Nice. But with this one, I'm also really focused on the mom. And Kelly Rowan, I think, is a great actress and just subtle. And so when she had a, a mass explosion of anger, I was like, well, I've not seen it from her before. So just looking at the parents more, perhaps because of my my older years, more so than the, the kids. And Marissa, I think, is really annoying, which I may have known back when I first watched it, but now I really do. But that's been fun to revisit. So there's my joy. That's, that's funny what you say about the age thing, though, because I, I should have mentioned that I just rewatched uh, Star Trek Voyager. Oh. Uh, last summer, I rewatched... Um, the Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine. So this summer is uh, Voyager and Enterprise. Okay. But it was the same kind of thing where I think I focused more on Seven, you know, 20 years ago, and now I'm focusing more on the captain. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that is an, I do think it's an age thing. Yeah. Yeah. Either age or just as we grow and maybe our our perspectives, I think, change, and then maybe how we relate to other people also change. Yeah. So. Because I think I look for strong female characters more often now than I would have when I was younger. So I'm always looking for some sort of show that like, yeah, there's, I can get on board with this particular character as before it could have been anyone really. Well, that might be true. It also might be that you looked around and didn't see any strong female characters. So you didn't have a choice. Um, Because there are more now. There are definitely more, just not enough more. I mean, when you go from like, 15% to 20%. That's still not good enough. (laughs) It sure isn't. Yeah. I was just listening to an interview on That Stop My Job, I think it's called, on NPR with Olivia Wilde, who had directed Book Smart. And at the very end, she was saying how the percentage of women is, uh, directing is like fledgling. And so we just really need to to get on board. And and everyone is single digits. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I, which I thought was interesting. And this was probably last year, I guess, whenever Booksmart came out and the guy, the host jokingly said, well, now that you've done this, are you going to do a superhero movie next? And she's like, yeah, that's the dream, isn't it? But it's funny because she is actually in rumors, I think, for doing a superhero. I think it's Spider-Woman. That's like the rumor right now. Hmm. So... I would love to see a Spider-Woman movie. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be great. And uh, just in terms of female directors and superhero movies, uh, I want to give two thumbs up to The Old Guard on Netflix. <gasps> yes. Excellent. Oh, yes. So yeah, good. Give, give her all the things. Give <laughs> her all the things. No, though. Yes, that was so good. And I really like Charlize Theron. I, I like her. At, I remember seeing her in Monster. 
And yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, it's so good. But as an action star, I think she's awesome. And I feel like my haircut is kind of, uh, you know, great for her too. But yeah, no, I really like the old guard. So much so, in fact, that I got the first trade, I guess it was a comicsology. Have yet to finish it. But I'm hoping that they do another film because it looked like the end of it seemed like, yeah. So Yeah. Um, yeah, I read the comic before I watched it. Okay. I actually liked the movie better than the comic. Okay, good to know. But you'll have to tell me what you think. Yeah, well, I guess it's good that I watched the movie first and then I'll read Probably. It. Yeah, the comic. Okay, well, now we're going to get into this thing. And what I've done is actually this episode encapsulates two months of Barbara Gordon appearances. Uh, maybe two and like, I don't know, another one just because of what we do with Birds of Prey. But I just want to hear from you guys whether you thought that this was too much. Maybe I'll just do a month. I'm just trying to figure out because my Excel spreadsheet now, guys, is is getting really crazy with where she's popping up and how often. And I just need to find some way to make it manageable. So maybe I do a month at a time for each episode. I don't know. So you can tell me when you write in, hopefully you write in, hey, that was too much or this was fine. But I'm not going to be reviewing all these comics. A lot of them I'll just say what it was about and what Babs does. So that I think also makes it manageable and you can please carolyn also say that was too much <laughs> okay so this is a, <laughs> i guess it's sexual innuendo but i'll call these the quickies which basically means I <laughs> i'm glad you're cracking yourself up <laughs> okay which basically means <laughs> okay i'm i'm back Look, no one can take a drink. It was after. It was after five minutes. <clears throat> Which basically, I can't look at you. This is why. Which basically means I'll give the title and creator credits. And then I, I went to Comixology and got the publisher recap. And then I'll tell you how Barbara Gordon appears. Oh, look. <laughs> well. <laughs> no, that cracks me up more. No, no, no. Okay. I'm, do- I'm doing it on purpose. No, I know. I if, know. If, if people want to just look at you, you know. Me laughing? Sure. No, 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 because I think you're going to be talking now for like two hours summarizing. Oh, how offensive. <laughs> See what I'm talking about, people? She offends me. She insults me, and that's how I know we're friends. She provokes okay. me to say these things. <laughs> oh, okay. So first up, Nightwing 55, Love and Death. The cover date was May 2001. So I think May and June are my two months that I cover this episode. Writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Greg Land, inker Drew Geraci, and colorist Patricia Mulvihill. And the comicsology synopsis was, an emergency team fights to save Clancy's life. Clancy was the landlord, or is the landlord of Dick. While Dick can only watch helplessly by her side. Meanwhile, Blockbuster tests his newest weapon, Shriek, or it could be Shrike, on his own elite team of mercenaries in preparation for unleashing it, or him, against Nightwing. I guess he said it, or they said it because of weapon. And uh, it, Barbara's appearance here was Dick surprises Barbara at home, and she says that she needs to up her security. And then there's some smooching, so it's a good one in terms of shipping. The next one is Nightwing 56, Stalked. 
June 2001, writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Greg Land, inker Drew, Drew Geraci, and colors Patricia Mulvihill. And the synopsis is, Tad and Dudley have had enough and are planning to break out of prison at any cost. Meanwhile, Blockbuster prepares to unleash his latest weapon, the assassin known as Shrike. I feel like it might be Shriek, but I think maybe I'm thinking of Batman Beyond. I think there was a Shriek on there. On an unsuspecting Nightwing. Okay, I'm going to screen share here because you know why. Maybe you don't know why. Yeah, I do. You do? Show it. Look. Look at this. I've been waiting for this story. I've seen this countless times. I may actually own this random issue because I had a list of shipper issues where I knew Dick and Babs appeared. So I might have this. But now that I know in context, look at that. Oh, I'm so excited for that. I think he's a little dehydrated, though. Because the water's not going into his skin? (laughs) No, because, like, you see every little crevice kind of a sign of dehydration. But anyway. That's true. He pulled a Hugh Jackman, I suppose. Yes, exactly. There you go. Oh, boy, am I so... Now, I have a question, though. The fact that she walks in, like, would you... No. If you had a really good friend (laughs) and you went to go visit your friend and you heard she was in the shower, would you go and visit her in the shower or would you wait for her to come out? I I think I could wait a few minutes. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. I don't know what Dinah was thinking. Unless she wanted to see Babs in the shower. Whoa. Now you're giving fuel to all the people that feel like when she's holding her that there's some uh, homoerotic behavior going on there. I actually like this issue, though, with how Babs and Dinah interact. And look at how sheepish he looks. This was a great issue. I, I really liked it. But how Dinah is saying... (laughs) <laughs> nothing ha- you Babs, nothing happened. Okay, you don't have to convince me. I mean it, Don. And she walks, whatever you say, Babs, which I do to Ellie Sawyer all the time. She tells me all this stuff. I'm like, okay. She says, you don't believe me when you say that. And then Babs down there is frustrated and then laughing. But Yeah, that's I, a good page. A good, good body language for both of them. And this, unfortunately, we're doing this before or looking at it before what we do because now they have this tight relationship, whereas we're about to see when that first began. But that was a good issue. I enjoyed it. I will stop the share now. And any other notes on that? I don't think. Oh, a big thing, though, is Babs admits that she's fallen all the way, which I thought was pretty big. She admits to them having a lot of history together, but she's fallen all the way. And then Babs also tells tells Dinah to look, but don't touch. (laughs) And Dinah sure did look. And then we have the Titans, 28, the all-nighter, June 2001, writer Jay Faber, Paul Pelletier is the artist, inker Bud LaRosa, and colors Gregory Wright. A new direction for the Titans begins as Titans Tower is visited by a group of mysterious children who want nothing less of the supergroup than to move in. Who are these kids? Where do they come from? And how is their presence going to change the future of the Titans? Nightwing, at this point, he asks Oracle to run prints and find info on these mysterious kids. She says he could come over and wait for the results, so there could have been shipping. But he stays with the Titans, and Donna overhears the conversation and teases Dick, but in the end, she's happy that he's happy. And I know that those two have a really close relationship throughout history, so it's great that now she knows that he likes somebody. And then we have Robin, and I had to 
go back in context because it's Robin 89, A Serpent in Paradise, but I at least Steph is there. And I thought, why is Steph in this? Mm-hmm. So just with Robin 86, I say that it's Bat Jerk on st- steroids because he tells Steph Tim's secret, which is even noted as a betrayal. And Alfred, remember Alfred quit during Officer Down. He is with Tim at Brentwood. And I was shocked to see Tim wearing glasses and I asked Donovan and apparently it's just for this era. And then 87 is actually the first meeting of Cassandra Kane Batgirl and spoiler. Batman says spoiler can't be to the level of Batgirl, but she could be the same or better than Tim, which is probably mm-hmm. high praise coming from Batman. And then Alfred is protective of Tim and not very welcoming to Steph. So just some things that I noted in that, but Robin 89, A Serpent in Paradise, June 2001, cover date, writer Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, a dream team, penciler Pete Woods, inker Andrew Pepoy, and colorist Noel Giddings. Tim's just learned the truth about Danny Temple, and now it's going to get him killed, unless that annoying gaggle of robot assassins is after something besides Robin. And... Tim contacts Oracle on this issue. She quickly finds out that the robots made their way to the Himalayas. Tim decides to travel there strictly on reconnaissance mission, though Oracle actually offers some metahuman assistance if he needs. And then later Oracle calls him Tim by name, which surprises him. And he thinks Bruce also told her, so just heap on the betrayals. But Alfred says he gives Bruce too much credit and it was only a matter of time, which is true that Oracle could figure that out on her own. She probably knew it for a long time, but I. this is what I imagine. She's known for, for a very long time, but she was sensitive to his feelings that he didn't want it known or, you know, wouldn't want that out there. So she probably didn't say anything to him. That's what I perceive about yeah, Oracle. For sure. Okay. So that, those are the recaps and I'll have, yeah, I guess that's, that's it. Those are the quickies. And so now we're going to get into our first little batch of stories that we're doing a full review and it's going to be birds of prey 28 through 30 and carolyn can now take the reins okay so um these summaries will be a little bit longer than the ones you just gave so i got mostly i took it from the dc wiki but i changed a couple things here and there All right, so 28 to 30. Number 28, April 2001, History Lesson Part 1, Time to Kill, uh, written by Chuck Dixon, Pencil and Inks by Jackson Geis, Colors, Shannon Blanchard, Letters, Albert de Guzman, Covers by Geis and David Smith. Several months ago, scientists from Star Labs who were examining a crashed satellite that created a temporal anomaly were killed by Cheshire, who suddenly burst through that anomaly. Then a couple weeks ago, a rune stone was discovered showing Vikings present in pre-colonization North America, which was a theory long supported by Professor Orenstein. Just remember that name for a second. Now, Black Canary finally meets Oracle in person at the clock tower, and the two women get to know each other better face to face. There is some cute hugging, and Dinah learns she's worked with Oracle before, back when she was Batgirl. They talk about dudes, uh, Jason Bard, Nightwing, Ollie, Dr. Midnight. Then they go outside and they foil a hapless mugger who chooses definitely the wrong pair of women to pick on. He ends up without his gun and without his pants after Dinah and Babs are finished with him. Meanwhile, back at Star Labs, some confused Vikings come through the time anomaly and they're worried that Cheshire and the, not the Vikings, the, the people at Star Labs are worried that Cheshire and the other two Ravens 
presence back in the past will have a negative impact on the present. They suggest sending in a paramilitary team, but Professor Ornstein has a better idea, showing them that the discovered runestone clearly depicts Black Canary. They find her just as she and Babs get back to her apartment. So then we go to number 29, May 2001. History lesson part two, Valhalla, baby. Uh, This is the same creative team as number 28. So Canary goes into the past with a squad of soldiers to try and retrieve the Ravens, Cheshire, Pistolera, and Vicious. They come under attack from stereotyped and othered Huroni Indians, and all the soldiers get killed. Canary is able to escape, but then she comes under attack from some Vikings, but they don't want to kill her. Their leader, John Haroldson, even seems quite friendly. He takes her back to their camp where she encounters the Ravens, who would kill her if it weren't for the fact that she might be able to get them back to the present. Then there's some dead people, and there's Vicious in a thong right in the middle of the page, and Haroldson says that the Haroni are like animals, as opposed to Vikings, I guess. Both Canary and Cheshire seem to have fallen for Haroldson rather quickly. In the present, Oracle, using the, the name Cassandra, who doesn't love that, and with inexplicably blue rather than green eyes and more pinkish red hair, works with Professor Orenstein to understand the mechanics of the time travel phenomenon attached to the crashed satellite and to coordinate the operation. Dinah has to come close to the satellite to get a signal from Oracle. Otherwise, she and her companions could end up in another time. As Canary, the Vikings, and the Ravens wait for the signal, the camp comes under attack from the stereotyped and othered Huroni Indians. On to number 30, June 2001, History Lesson Part 3, time and time and time again, same creative team again. So they're under attack from the Huroni, and Cheshire overhears Canary discussing her plans with John Haroldson to leave Cheshire in the past to prevent her from killing the Star Lab scientists when she arrives in the present. Haroldson and Canary kiss. Cheshire, of course, shoots at Canary. (laughs) Just as Oracle's signal is beginning to come through stronger, and also her signal is cutting through 1943 World War II somehow. Anyway, Haroldson intercepts the bullet. You know, he jumps in front of it for Canary, but Cheshire escapes. And then he and Canary kiss, and they cry, and she promises to avenge him, and she returns to the present, where she discovers that the events resulting from Cheshire's arrival haven't changed, and that the other two ravens haven't yet returned. Some weeks later, Professor Orenstein invites Dinah to see a newly discovered stone artifact, which indicates that Haroldson survived the bullet, but apparently, quote, his heart mourned for a love lost to time, which, of course, is Dinah. Yep. That's it. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of Justice League, the animated series. Yeah. That now I can't remember what that the three part, the first three part episode that they had where they we're kind of in World War Two, and Steve I love Trevor that. And, yeah, yeah, Steve Trevor. That's so. Oh man, when she visits, I'm like spoiling the whole thing. When she visits <laughs> him at the end, yeah, in the home, and he just says, "Angel." It's yeah. like, oh. that's kind of what it reminded me of. Okie dokie. Well, first of all, I do have to say, was it just me, or did the whole past Viking storyline get in the way of Babs and Dinah? And yeah, you know, I mean, meeting all, yeah, of course. I mean, so it's all ravens and Indians and Vikings and time travel, but I don't care. Just show me Babs and Dinah. <laughs> yeah, Babs, and Dinah Babs and Dinah hanging out and yeah. taking out a mugger who underestimates them. It is adorable. It is glorious. That could just be the comic every month. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, and I was thinking about that this morning that why not have a one shot where it's just them hanging out and just inevitably they get into trouble. They find themselves in trouble or people are trying to attack them and they, they're dumb, not the, the team, but 
these attackers are dumb and like, oh man, it's like hijinks, basically an issue of hijinks with those two. And I thought, yeah, why wouldn't that sell? That would have been a great transition issue almost to get there. Yeah. Well, the way that they do it is they're trying to tell the mugger, really, you should just walk away. And then they, they, it's kind of like Babs just sort of raises her eyebrows and looks resigned like, oh, I don't feel like doing this, but you asked for it, buddy. And then they just totally take the dude down. Uh, You don't underestimate Canary and Oracle. For sure. For sure. And I like how in that moment she calls her backroll. I think she says nice moves backroll. Yeah, that's right. Which was, it was so off the cuff, but I don't know. It's like an intimacy there because I feel like if anyone else had said it, her hackles would have gone up because sometimes Barbara doesn't like to think about that part of her, but it just comes off really well. And and you can tell that Dinah says it in a respectful way. And now that they had this intimacy and this actual burgeoning friendship, I I liked that little. Yeah. I totally took it as you still have, you're still the same person you were when you were Batgirl and you still have the same skills as Batgirl. You just have, you know, you're just using mostly all these other skills also. Yep. Well, let's talk about the covers first, and then we can delve more into the actual issue. Throughout all three of them, or on all three of them, on the border, you have Norse, I suppose, engraved as if in stone. And then you also have our little hunky hunk hunk on the the corner right there for all three of them. (laughs) Uh, But the first one, you've got Dinah. She... Looks like she's wearing some Viking-esque clothing, which is she really back in the past, though? So that might be a um, a miss, not a misnomer, but they, they led us astray for a bit. And then you've got a, I can, I guess, sh- just show it like this. Well, I don't think the Vikings have spandex, but I guess we're supposed to think that the fur is Viking-esque. Yeah, and then you've got the the shield as well. But she's not back in time yet. No. So that's I'm- the only thing. Yeah, I would say on that one. And then you have the Ravens on this one. And would you say there's a pile of racism in the background again? Or are you okay with this? You got TNA in the front and racism <laughs> in the back. Welcome you have what to- in the back? I said you have TNA in the front and racism in the back. Welcome okay. to 2001. Does this count as a floating head? There's no Babs. But, uh, well, I mean, it's her mask. Where? <laughs> These. The oracle mask on the engraving. Oh, okay. Does that count as a floating head if it's just her mask, her I, oracle mask? Her I, I, that is not I something know. I had to confront when I was okay. quantifying these kinds of things. That it, it's cool. I guess it's a way of getting her there, getting her head there, and yeah. getting the fact that oracle is involved without showing it. So yeah, I'm sure I didn't count this as a floating head, and I should have. Well, I think, I mean, I I feel like you laid out your parameters rather well. I mean, it was her, actually. It was actually Barbara without a body, whereas that's a representation of Barbara without a body. I think now, I mean, it's really only the Vikings in the back, right? There's not, I don't think there are any Indians in the back. So it's the Vikings and then Dinah's. Dinah, yeah. So it's not really a pile of racism in the back. Okay. But but you've got that in the comic itself. You sure Uh, do. Well, it's just this, like, uh, when you have basically just a brownish, unnamed mass of people, mm-hmm. you know, that's um, that's not so great. 
for more on how you see a lot of that in Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel comics from the 20 teens, see my new book. <laughs> Captain Marvel. Yeah, there's a whole chapter that's kind of about that, that they're like, uh, how often people of color in both of those comics get sort of othered. Yeah. Sometimes when they're being protected and they're yeah. an unnamed mass of brown people, and sometimes when they're being fought against and they're an unnamed mass of brown mm-hmm. people. So I don't think that's really gone away from comics. And then you have this where you kind of create them like they're or portray them as if they're savages. Yeah. And and John Haroldson tells us straight out that they are too. Yeah. So it's not just the art, it's also said to us. Yeah. And then um, the final one you the, have... Vikings, the Vikings are civilized, I guess, but the Indians yeah. who are protecting where they live from colonization are savages. Here's the last one where you have Dinah and Cheshire fighting. And then there's our hunky hunk right there. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm not sure I've ever seen that particular fighting style before. No, I think that number 29, <laughs> I mean, what, it what is a is strange Dinah, pose. What are they doing? Um, uh, Dinah's using her knee to attack Cheshire's liver. I don't know. I don't know, ma'am. But he's also kind of on tiptoes, which is not really a position of strength (laughs) if you're trying to take someone down with your knee. But yeah, so I think 29 and 30 have a little bit more of that. Dinah's pose on 28, I think, is more of a forward-facing, the kind of pose that's more often given to male superheroes on covers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Strong and ready for action. I would say that's probably my favorite, I think, of all three of them anyways. Yeah, me too. Even if it misleads us. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Babs's hair. We have to talk about it because of Professor Allen as my chief hairstylist correspondent. So in 28, a different hairstyle, I feel like. I've not seen this her wear this type of hairstyle before, but she has actually pulled back uh, just the bangs. Yeah, I think in it's the cute. Back. I think so as well. I, it seems like she's off-duty, like an off-duty Babs, which makes sense. And then you've got business Babs for 29 and 30 where she's got the actual, you know, it's down and the, the longer bob and everything. But color-wise, you made a mention that you would say the coloring is different. I mean, the eyes for sure, which is the same color, so that's not good on I know, Shannon. That's the part I did. I, I, then I checked again, like, well, okay, the middle issue must be someone else, but it's not credited as being someone else. Yeah. But the hair color is different and the eye color is different. Yeah, I would agree that it, it certainly is more red in 28 and then 29 has that uh, magenta, magenta feel. Yeah, it's like yeah. a pinkish. There you go. Okay, let's talk about this first meeting. Let's talk about it a bit more. First of all, since you're wearing the shirt, would you say that it passes the Bechtel test? Because they do talk about romantic entanglements a lot. Can you put that aside and say that it's, it passes? Yeah, a lot of their conversation is talking about guys. And it's sure. kind of, I mean, given that you're now at number 30 of the series mm-hmm. and you know they talk about plenty of other stuff, it's not that much of a problem. You kind of feel more like, oh, since they're face-to-face, they're going to have a little more personal girl talk. Um, but they do talk about other stuff. Like yeah. she says, when Bab says, this isn't the first time. Well, how does she put it? You know, we worked together before when yeah. I was, yeah. So it isn't all that they're talking about, but it is quite a bit of it. But it, but in a good way, because there's there's kind of a funny part and a poignant part. They're supportive of each other, but mm-hmm. they're also kind of laughing about stuff. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's a well-balanced conversation about romantic stuff between people who know each other relatively well and feel like they can be honest with each other. Yeah. Do you feel like because there's this focus on relationships, 
is this a, and I, I use the word failing in my notes and that might be too strong, but a, a failing of Dixon that these two attractive women should have romantic partners or is it just the fact that they have had history with these important men that are important to DC Comics? And so those questions inevitably will come up as, as two girls talk about it. And two girl women, sorry, women in comics. I think it's both. I think there is a history of always feeling like the you have to have the female characters have a romantic interest. And Gail Simone talked about when she was on Wonder Woman that she got editorial pressure to have more men in the comic. And mm-hmm. I think that we've talked about before, and I guess we're going to talk about shortly that um, the post 2011 Barbara Gordon keeps being paired with people inexplicably. So it, there does seem to be, uh, it seems to be difficult for some people to grasp female characters that uh, are not an adjunct to a male character, but yeah, but in this case, when you're talking about, these other superheroes that have been around for decades too, that they've been paired with this whole time and the relationships is going across different comics, then I think it's appropriate here for them to talk about that stuff. And those are, sorry, no, I was just going to say the relationships with, with Dick and with Ollie are sort of long enough mm-hmm. that you can see the parts where they're together and you see the parts where they're not together. Yeah. over those series. And, and those two, especially because with Ollie, I mean, that's around the time that these two, Babs and Dinah, get together is after Ollie's death and Dinah was in a terrible way. And, and Babs was really, this job was really a way to pull her out of that ditch that she was in. So that makes sense. And then with Nightwing, I mean, those are cute moments right there where she's blushing and uh, she yeah, talks about, uh, it was him who answered the phone that time. Editorial note says it was number eight. Of course, it was, you're blushing, Babs. The the great Oracle embarrassed like a little girl. So he comes up again, which leads us back into Nightwing 56 to, to give us mm-hmm. a bit of context there. So, yeah, it I like, I mean, you know, first time, like, this is where you live. This is old school. And then she pulls up all the digital stuff and you see Joker there. Of course, she's monitoring Joker mm-hmm. all the time. And I, yeah, I think it's a great first meeting. Well, second meeting, I second guess, meeting. but like first official of, hey, you know, They've really crossed this, and now they're actually friends. They're not just colleagues. So it's a huge moment. I've been waiting so long for this. Each issue after our Hunt for Oracle, I was thinking, oh, it's going to happen now. It's going to happen now, and it didn't. I've been waiting to use viewers won't be able to hear the song, but there's a song, Carol and Tuesday, the anime on Netflix that I've been waiting called Army of Two. I've been waiting for it because I thought this is the perfect song for them. And so I can now finally use that. But yeah, I'm so happy. That's, I think, the best part of this whole story. For sure. Is, is this issue primarily with, you know, when you get rid of star ads and everything, primarily with these two working together. And the, what's funny about it, too, is that remember months ago when you said you said something like, are these two ever going to meet in person? And I was like, it's number 28. <laughs> but if, if you had asked me then, what is the rest of the story? I didn't remember. Yeah. I just remembered the whole I remembered them talking in the clock tower and them with the mugger. Yeah. I remembered nothing. Once I, once I picked it back up and saw it, I was like, oh yeah, that one with the time travel. But I guess that didn't make the same impression on me. I guess not. Uh, The funny thing, I wondered what you thought about the very end where they are, are they about to go to eat? Well, first of all, there is a mistake on, I have it on page 20 on my, my paper copy, but they are talking about 
Dr. Midnight and whether he's stable. And there's a mistake on one of the bottom panels where I think they switched the word bubbles because they give some word bubbles for uh, Dinah that I think belong to Babs. But they are, mm, they encounter, I guess, the Star Labs people. And right off the bat, this is, I guess, page 22, Dinah's in a fight pose. Babs has pulled out her scream of sticks. Do you think that this is maybe a bit too much? And couldn't that get Babs into trouble of uh, releasing her identification? Did you think that that was a little strange, a, a bit of an escalation when someone just says, Ms. Lance, and then they're all ready to be attacked? Uh, no, I, I didn't read it that way. I okay. read it like they're always ready. And they're always prepared. That's true. That is true. That's why, that's why they win. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to move on to 29. And I had a question about narration box colors. This seems like a strange question to ask. This is 29, right? Where Dinah is now the narrator. And it's yellow, which makes sense for Dinah. But when she goes back in the past, they actually mute the color a bit, if you noticed. And I wondered, did you see any problems with that did that did your was your attention drawn to that that all of a sudden she went from her yellow color to show that yes it is Dinah talking to now it's not yellow maybe because it's in the past do you have any thoughts on that I didn't even notice okay (laughs) there you go it's just me I feel like the reason they did is because even the tone of the the tonal colors of the past is kind of muted so they want to it's kind of right yeah Babs calling herself Cassandra. So you said who doesn't like that? And I, I'm not going to say I didn't like it, but I just thought it was strange that she would use that moniker when it now from her belongs to somebody else. So why not use another name that is associated like Helen? She could have done Helen maybe. Because the name Helen doesn't mean Oracle. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Apollo. She could have done Apollo. Okay. That's fair. But um, I, I, yeah, I understand the issue that there really now is a Cassandra in her life. But I just, I just like the reference to these are both or, or Oracle and Cassandra are both oracles. Yeah. Okay. It's I can get on board with that. Yeah. Here's a question. Do you think Dinah is a shallow person? Why? <laughs> Okay. Well, because, hold on now. It's about our hunky hunk, man. Now, we have been told that she's dating Dr. Midnight-ish. I I would like, I need to ask Shag about that, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how serious that is. I, I honestly, I don't have any memory of her dating Dr. Midnight. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Oh, where is this? She was looking at him. It was in her mind. Oh, no. Oh, no. Looking at the John Haroldson guy? Yes. And she says, it has to be, I'm on 29, Mm-mm-mm. that he's an attractive person, but, and he has some depth to him. Oh, is this it? Da-da-da. Yes. Okay. So I'm, ge- uh, need context here. Okay. This is on page 20 for me. Quite a man, A. Eh? That's Cheshire, I think, talking, yes. We're only visiting, says Dinah. And then Cheshire says, don't kid me, lady. I see the way you look at him. And then on 21, Dinah is narrating. She says, okay, so I'm guilty as charged. John is gorgeous. 
and seems deep for a guy who believes that thunder is made by a big goof with a hammer. But even if I think back to Nightwing 56, you know, look, but don't touch. I mean, she clearly was looking. Do you think that she, is she a bit, or is she portrayed as being a shallow person? Like she'll go for attractive men. And I feel like the next issue I have is actually her and Roz, Roz, Roz Al Ghul. (laughs) It is Rach. I'm so sorry. Rach Al Ghul. Uh, What do you, yeah, I don't know. Do you think she is, or is it just a portrayal of her that people, because she's attractive and she gets together with hot people, that's just the way that they're portraying her? (laughs) Well, I think it's kind of, I think it is a difference between her and Babs, right? Because Babs is going to like look down and blush about the Nightwing kind of stuff. And Dinah is more like, I have eyes. What? I'm not supposed to comment on what I see. (laughs) And so uh, I think she has, she's just more open about stuff and has a little bit more of a swagger to her, like a, like a Captain Marvel kind of maybe Mm. would be, you know, so, uh, so I think it's just another difference between them that is fun. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I think, I guess with Dinah, I can probably see her appreciating the male form right off the bat more so than maybe Babs would. For Babs, it might be like a quick second, but she very much is, I think, internal or their brain size, that sort of thing. But then Dinah does say that he is deep. So I feel like if she is a bit superficial, I think she's also looking for something that's more. And you can tell from 30 that she actually... In however brief a time this is, because I can't tell actually, is it just one day? Is it a couple days? It's hard to tell timeline-wise. That she does form, it seems like, an actual bond or connection with with the Hottie McCotson. So (laughs) (laughs) there you go. Uh, My next point, and gosh, when I was thinking about this, I, I, I just put the role of luck, and I'm still trying to figure out how to form a question for this, but Hottie McCotson says something about like, look seems to be a huge thing for him. (sighs) I'm thinking to Caesar, you know, I'm a classicist and with Caesar fortune or Fortuna personified plays to a bit extent in, in his, to a small extent in his fighting and things like that. But he also feels like his own prowess is to be praised when, when things go well. And, (laughs) What do you think about the role of luck in terms of being, oh, this is actually good because of the militarism business, <laughs> the role of luck in, yeah, military and war and things like that. It, it does it usually, because this seems, this guy seems to really focus a lot on that, that fortune comes into play. Is that, would you agree with that? Or do you think there's, there's other stuff and luck is, is a bit, a, a small part to play in that? There's my question. Okay, well, first I have to say a funny thing about Caesar, <gasps> because you're probably the only person on earth who will appreciate this. Okay. When I was in graduate school, we were required to either take, be proficient in one language, oh. or be proficient, sorry, one language plus statistics, mm. or, or two languages and like one less semester of statistics. Okay. All right. I wanted to take one less semester of statistics, and I had taken Latin in high school, as you know. So I thought, okay, I'll test out of Latin. So I had to take this test. So basically they give you a passage that you have to translate and you're allowed to have a dictionary. It was a paper dictionary at the time, but 
as soon as I figure, as soon as I read the title, I was like, oh, this is going to be so easy because it was from the Gallic War Diaries. And the title was Caesar had to do everything himself. <laughs> I was just like, this is the most Caesar thing ever. So all I really had to do was have him be the subject of every sentence. <laughs> it was so easy to translate, but that was just like, okay, so no one else in the world has no, read the that's him. Yeah. I appreciate that as much as you, but you know, he just, he liked to talk about his prowess. He but, sure did. But this was even like, he had to raise the flag himself. He had to blow the bugle himself. Oh, he had to, like, come on, man. Okay, so having said that, I thought that the reason that they did it here mm-hmm. was because they were trying to show that he was more primitive. Interesting. I thought that instead of having him like, I don't know, call on Norse gods for things or whatever, that was another way of doing it because the more you name Norse gods in the DC universe, the more people are really just going to think about Thor, mm. which is why Thor isn't named here. And Dinah yeah. says something like, you know, he thinks a man with a hammer controls stuff. So in real life, yeah, I think uh, fortuitous things happen all the time that are not caused by anything in particular. Yeah. And I think that that can happen in a military situation as well. Like, um, wasn't there some Revolutionary War battle? I want to say it was the Battle of Brooklyn, where if it wasn't really foggy that night, the revolution would have been wiped out because mm-hmm. they wouldn't have been able to escape across the East River or something like that undetected. So you could say that's not luck, that's weather. Yeah. <laughs> but it was lucky that it happened to be at that moment. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's strategy and then I think stuff just happens and you got to roll with it. Do you find luck and fate synonymous or do you feel like there is a distinction between the two? Well, fate implies that you don't have any control over what happens after the lucky thing happens. Also, the lucky thing isn't usually lucky for everybody. It's interpreted as lucky if it helps you and not otherwise. So your luck is probably not someone else's. Yeah. Uh, but fate almost is like, it. it's more a conception like we're all just on rails. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a disempowering thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just interested with how often, and I had read these, I think I've gone up to Fugitive in my first reread, and that's as far as I got. So I had read these before, but clearly they, they, they don't stick in my mind. But just the how often luck, how often he had mentioned luck, I thought was interesting, especially for a manly-looking man. And I thought he's, you know, yeah, not calling on the gods, which Odin was the only god that was mentioned, and then not, I guess, calling on himself or giving himself agency that he knows what he's doing. He has strategy. He's a manly man and can uh, beat up these natives. It was just, it was, yeah, it was interesting how often he, he talked about luck. So, okay. Well, thanks for help. Thanks for being patient as I hemmed and hawed work, (laughs) working through that question. Sometimes this is what happens. You know, when I started my podcast, everything was written out verbatim. And now I just put some keywords and have to figure out what I meant by it. So it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, okay. It kind of sounds more natural that way. Yeah. Issue 30, Carolyn Coca, you wrote in from the future. If you look at the <laughs> if you look at the letters. Are you ready for this? Now for some reason your hotmail, do you want me to give your hotmail? It was wanderson75 at hotmail.com way back when. So you said, "Dear words of prey, in this issue Batman dies." 
Okay, so where exactly in my comic did Batman die? I have to tell you that I was just a little bit annoyed about this comic. I mean, I know you want to boost sales, but that's all well and good. But when you say that you are going to kill someone in a comic, do it. I'm not normally a reader of Birds of Prey, by the way. I collect the Batman title, so your little ploy worked. However, <laughs> you have lost a potential regular customer with this little charade of yours. <gasps> and then the editor who is who is writing this. Uh, is Jordan Gorfinkel still? Might have. I don't see, because normally he says his yeah. little sign-off. That's funny. I cannot tell. He says, hey, Wanderson, we're sorry our gag didn't work. Hopefully someone who knows you will let you know we're addressing your concern because he won't buy anymore. We came in with the purest of intentions on this one. But as they say, the road to hell, dot, dot, dot. Or as everyone else says, nobody but you back guys thinks this is funny. The whole point of the Batman Die stunt was that it wasn't a stunt. It was a gag, an easy laugh on the eve of an emotionally heavy storyline. Some of the issues worked better than others, but clearly this is one that didn't for a lot of you. And we're sorry. So what brought you back after you said you weren't going to read anymore? <laughs> I know. That is pretty funny. Um, oh. So for listeners who are just tuning into this show and mm. haven't heard the last several, uh, we did point out that it said Batman dies on a previous yes. cover. And we also noted Batman did not die. It's uh, true. I wonder how many other people bought collect, collected it for that reason. I know. Well, it's interesting that I, I suppose if I... I'm a regular reader. I just pick up the comic from the stands. However, if I were like this person, I would have flipped through the comic before purchasing. No, then you would know how he died. Oh, I guess that's true. Okay. But anyways, I thought it was funny that you wrote in from the future. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I did. I wrote in from three months ago back to 2001. (laughs) Oh, and then it appeared. Which it's based, that works with the space-time anomaly that we're dealing with. So in the end, nothing changed from the present of this timeline. Was this a worthwhile mission or even a worthwhile story in your opinion? It was fine. Number 28 is the important thing. <laughs> no, it was, it was okay. I mean, I think that um, having the Ravens recur is fine. I mean, I don't really feel like they're that interesting, but I think it's nice to have um, female villains sometimes, not always male villains. Mm. I, I like time travel stuff in general, and I thought having it come back to, you know, it doesn't change the DC universe forever, but it turned out the only thing that really changed was Haroldson mourning his lost love of Canary. Mm. No, that was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to point out about the time travel aspect and how Barbara deals with it that... In number 30 here in 2001, she's so tech savvy that she can send a signal to Black Canary 1,000 years in the past. Whereas, say, 2020 Babs in Batgirl 48 is so not tech savvy that she has to call an ex-boyfriend for help with her tech. Yeah, isn't that interesting? She can't perform surgery on herself. Who do you think she is? I think she's Barbara Gordon. (laughs) Barbara Gordon can do anything she sets her mind to. That would have been the time to swear if I allowed you to. She's Barbara bleep bleep Gordon. I'm exercising a lot of restraint here, and I'll be exercising more later. Okay. Yeah, a little tease there. Yeah, that certainly was interesting. And issue four kept popping up which was interesting. And I flipped through it while I was waiting uh, for this call to begin. And 
not too much really happened. They reference it so much, but it's just Cobra and the Ravens are there and they have a mission. And then at the very end, you see them swimming underwater and they find that satellite. (laughs) So I just thought, gosh, did I miss something? It's been so long since I read four, but people will be okay if they just read 2820. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's just that they're just trying to let you know that they're picking up on a thread and they also want you to go back and buy the other one if you haven't. Yeah. I can't recall if the Ravens pop up again, but I will be interesting to see where Pistolera and Gun Bunny are. <laughs> Is that their name? No, Gun Bunny. And, well, Pistolera and Vicious. Yeah, Pistolera okay. and Gun Bunny. Sorry, she. Yeah, she. Oh man. Okay, I, I can't wait to see where they pop up. Also, I have a question for you before we sign off on this. Where Where is her thong? Are you like looking with a spyglass to find? You said that someone with a thong was afoot. Uh, I don't know if it was um, vicious. It was Ooh. vicious. Okay, because I, I don't know. have it in front of me though. It was number. I thought it was twenty nine because that's when we see them for the first time. Jackson. I mean, I believe you, but yes, it was in number. Oh, 20- I see it. Kind of in the middle, yeah. in in the middle of the page, in a thong. Yeah, I see her now. Yeah. Wow. You didn't like that butt shot. I just didn't really see the point of putting it exactly in the middle of the page. One assumes that because you know your your gaze is being drawn there because it's in the middle of the page, but it's of not course. supposed to be the point of the yeah. panel. Yep. No. The squint test it fails. <laughs> so, out of ten Vikings or ten hot hottie McCodsons, what would you give this story? The whole thing. Yes, ma'am. Well, that's hard because because I don't feel equally really about all three of them. I think number 28 is far superior, <laughs> right? So I feel like some pages of number 28 are a 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And the overall story is, you know, like a solid B, like an yeah. eight and a half. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. I'd give it, I think, maybe an eight. But I also agree that just with 28, all of my high points would <laughs> would definitely be for that particular issue. So there you go. Well, on the DC Wiki page, when I clicked on Ravens, it just says that they're re- the Ravens' appearances. And the only thing it says under Birds of Prey is Birds of Prey, Volume 1, Number 29, which is not even accurate because yeah. we know that they're in Number 30 as well. So okay. not sure. I feel like I've seen them, but I, I might be getting my information because they were working for someone in Gotham. It was like Penguin or something, but that might have been the past unless I'm thinking, I don't know. I Well, I guess we'll see. Well, do you think we should do listener emails now or after? After. Okay. So, friends, we're going to take a break. I'm She's bossing me around, so we're going to do it. So we are going to <laughs> take a break. When we come back, we'll do listener feedback, and then we will review Batgirl 13 and 14 from 2001. This is Donovan's betrayal or my betrayal of Donovan. And then Batgirl number 48, a.k.a. 100, a.k.a. 203 from 22. 22- <laughs> But first, I know, but first, Zias's Radio Hour featuring Lemons by Brie. And this is dedicated to DC Comics and The Joker and James Jr., a.k.a. JJ. So we will get back to you soon after we, we yeah. Woo! There's a billion people on this planet that you could bother, but for some reason you chose me. I wish I could give you the attention that you ordered, but I just don't have the energy. 
Maybe I'm the one that's being overdramatic, but I don't think so. I do know for a fact, though, that you're a definite coward, and I think it might be time for you to go. You're a sour little boy with a fragile masculinity. You saw me as your toy, now that I'm not, you abuse me. You're a sour little boy, absolutely no fun. You saw me as your toy, now that I'm not, you throw a tantrum. When life gives you lemons, you don't make lemonade. You use them to make girls cry. You take those lemons, no sugar at all, and you squirt it right into our eyes. When life gives you lemons, you don't make lemonade. You use them to make girls cry. You take those lemons, no sugar at all, and you squirt it right into our eyes. When life gives you lemons, you don't make lemonade. You use them to make girls cry. You take those lemons, no sugar at all, and you squirt it right into our eyes. I've tried to remain patient with these stupid shenanigans, but you've given me no other choice. You tried to knock me over by acting like you're above me and pretending that I don't have a voice. And I don't wanna encourage your abusive behavior, but I just can't let you in. I'm legitimately tired of being walked all over by these insecure babies who think that they're men. You're a sour little boy with a fragile masculinity. You saw me as your toy, now that I'm not, you abuse me. You're a sour little boy, absolutely no fun. You saw me as your toy, now that I'm not, you throw a tantrum. When life gives you lemons, you don't make lemonade. You use them to make girls cry. You take those lemons, no sugar at all, and you squirt it right into our eyes. When life gives you lemons, you don't make lemonade. You use them to make girls cry. You take those lemons, no sugar at all, and you squirt it right into our eyes. Okay, we are, wow, she's gone. She's had enough, folks. We are back. We're going to do some listener feedback here because the boss said that we should put it here. It works well thematically with what we're about to do. Mail time. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. So this is interesting. For the first time, I would say, at least in my memory, someone has sent me an audio feedback, my once beloved Donovan Morgan Grant. So I'm going to hold it up for the the viewers so that they can have it. But of course, listeners, I'll be dropping it in. So here we go.
Yeah, it's me. Okay, so first off, um, with the Matches Malone trilogy, uh, I remember when those issues came out on the day. Um, we are you are now part of your coverage where these comic books are very much encroaching on my memories of them coming out in the early two thousands. Like I, I mentioned that I was around for No Man's Land, but like this is kind of when I start reading. Uh, month by month, and I remember these matches Malone, this matches Malone story, and I was happy that you enjoyed it. I I enjoyed it too. Um, I had forgotten that Brian K. Vaughn wrote. I thought that Brew Baker did because I know Brew Baker is going to be writing Batman with Scott McDaniel on art from here on in for a while. And um, your whole thing about answer the this Donovan Grant like it's completely unfounded because like I like when have I ever. Once in my lifetime, or at least on recorded audio, said that like Batman is perfect and he can do all of the things. I never said that, and I never would say that. Um, I I'm always chasing the stories where Batman's shown to be vulnerable, infallible, and you know, an idiot. Like like like, like that's why Master of the Phantasm is the best movie because he like loses half that movie. Um, in regards to this story, I do think it's a little um, characteristically inconsistent for him to be kind of just swept in the weeds of like you know personas but at the same time like like i see what they're going for i'll say this though we're now in a this is kind of start with an officer down but we're now definitely at the point in the books this is all leading up to um uh, Bat, uh bruce wayne murderer like in how nightfall had a lead up and no man's land had a lead up like we're now in that kind of era where like the whole bat jerk thing that you love to decry so much like this is this is where that that characterization and the writers and the characters' attention to that characterization gets its hardest work out. Like, Bruce Wayne Murderer and Fugitive is all about, like, you know, the Bat family saying, why is Bruce Wayne such a dick? Um, and that's why I think that uh, it's one of my favorite Batman stories, and that's why I demand to be on it when you cover it. But this is kind of getting to that. Like, this is not kind of a... I know it seemed that, that the story was done at the end of Part 3, but this is really kind of dipping its toe into that. Um... Additionally, in regards to your modern reviews with uh, Batgirl, with the joke that kills and such, I have to say, because, you know, and we talked about this, like, you know, off the air, as it were, but uh, I was very impressed with uh, your summation of the story and how the themes really are disrespectful towards Barbara. I mean, I said I told you before. I don't necessarily take too much umbrage with the, with Joker saying you're just like a Robin or whatever, because that's just you know that's that's villain talk. But kind of linking the two together in this sort of pseudo romantic connected way is I, I, I can see that being a story avenue, but that's inappropriate and it's also unnecessary. I mean, I don't think that. I feel that, that Barbara... I don't even know if Barbara necessarily needs a, an arch enemy, but if she does, it's not going to be the Joker. It's going to be her brother, or Killer Moth, or Calculator, or... Lady Shiva, I don't know. Um, but, like, like the Joker... I don't see the Joker being so weird about it, and I don't see Barbara being so weird about it, too. But also, like, I, personally speaking, I just found the issue to be... I mean, the issue is offensive. I agree with that. You've made your case, and I agree with the case that you made. But I found it to be like, like a waste of time. I mean, like, we've done this story where Barbara... Did you know that Barbara can beat the Joker? It's like, well, if that's the case, why don't she beat him all the time? Like, like, why don't she just go after him? Like, why does she have to wait until he shows up towards her doorstep? And why is it that DC feels the need to remind us that? Do they not have confidence in this character? Um, 
they clearly don't because they're canceling the book. Um, this also this feedback comes in after the devastating week uh, at DC and Warner Brothers in regards to all the layoffs and um, the cancellations between this and Red Hood Outlaw and Batman the Outsiders was just the tip of the iceberg. Um, so we'll see how things go go along. Um, what if she dies? Oh no! <laughs> or what if Batman fires her? So I enjoyed last episode of Backyard Oracle. I enjoyed the previous episode of Backyard Oracle, and I was listening to the, the first part where you're talking about the uh, the, the Mattress Malone story, and um, we were kind of getting into that like sex scene, which I I guess I wasn't aware of. Um, although I, th- I remember you and Harry briefly mentioning it. I'll be sure to visit Pornhub and see if they have that uh, freely available for viewing pleasure. Um, sounds rather grotesque, though, but it's probably funny. Um, anyways, uh, hope to be on the next Cassandra Kane uh, story review, and I will talk to you guys later. Guess what, Donovan? You're not on the next Cassandra Kane story review. So that, thank you, Donovan. Oh, you're right. You know, Carolyn betrayed you. She said, Donovan, he's not good enough for this. Have me on. And I said, okay. So, no, it's not what happened. She, it's just, like I said, I was doing those two months and we were definitely doing Birds of Prey and the two months happened to be back row 13 and 14. So that's what we're doing. Thanks for speaking in. I was trying to think of what that would be. Thanks for sending audio. I appreciate that. And I love when he says, I never said that because I could just hear, I could visualize him in my actual physical space saying that to me. Let's see. Any comments on that? Oh, I've got some questions for you. Did you in Fit 47, because you had to read it, was it just me who felt, because he said being compared to a Robin as just a villain thing, but I felt like, oh, why are you doing that, taking, you know, everything she's accomplished away from her and, and, and comparing her? Was Were you closer to my feelings of it or Donovan's of? That's just villain talk. There's nothing to really be so offended at with that. I have so many other things to say about that too. That I mean, I had so many other problems with it that that didn't stick out to me as a big okay. problem. But I, I think it can be totally taken either way. But I, your objection to like it takes away from her all the stuff that she's accomplished. This bad girl hasn't accomplished that much. Yeah, this bad true. girl doesn't have a PhD and work in library science, and this bad girl didn't run for Congress, and this girl, this bad girl didn't. Oh no, what was the name of that? She worked for like this uh, policy think tank thing that she, uh, it was like when she was friends with Marcy. uh, Okay, I can't remember the name of it. It's in my book. That's terrible. Oh yeah. Yeah, some kind of policy thing like of stopping crime through policy. I don't remember what it was, but the point is this Batgirl didn't do any of that. Yeah, Um, Yeah, it's true. Because, you know, she's, she is more equivalent to a Robin in some ways. So I don't know if he is thinking that that is a diminutive even or not, or if he just thinks it'll annoy her. Um, So I could see it either way. Yeah. Do you feel like James Jr., a.k.a. JJ, is being groomed to be her arch nemesis? I guess. Whatever. (laughs) So dismissive. Okay. No, I I would love to have Calculator back as her arch nemesis because um, someone who is more of a match for her brain-wise and tech-savvy-wise, and also then we could bring back Wendy. So I'm cool with that, too. That's very true. Yep. And just for viewership, uh, you can't find those sex scenes on Pornhub. He was just saying that they're on the YouTube (laughs) 
which is practically Pornhub, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, which you had, I made you watch. I made you watch those two sex scenes because I wondered what your feedback was on those and why they struck me as odd. So it's hard to not, it was yeah. hard to not knowing anything really Perfect. else about the yeah. character. It was, it was hard for me to yeah. make any kind of informed comment on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I brought in, which now you've seen it, so, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. There were sex scenes, but you were, you don't see anything. And like, that's fine. You don't need to really to, no. to have that emotional connection with between the, the women. So well, I felt like. It's kind of like, uh, like old school Hollywood. They didn't yeah. necessarily show someone getting bloodily murdered, but you knew they got murdered and you yeah. didn't see, you know, so it's a different style, which I prefer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I understand maybe not other people. Other people may not. Yeah. But what did you think about what Donovan said, uh, the actual content of him saying, I never said that? Would you say that's an accurate portrayal? <laughs> that he never he never portrayed Batman as perfect? Is it possible that you maybe have set up Donovan as a straw man <laughs> who has maybe never made such declarations? Oh, I don't know, man. He's always defending Batman. I remember recording with him. At a at a in a hotel on on the eve of I think it was on the eve of uh, one of our friends' weddings, and this was when yeah he first said to me that I he felt I was hypocritical and it annoyed him because of hypocritical and judgmental and it annoyed him in regards to Batman. So that's where I'm getting that, you know, is because he always defends Batman. So clearly he thinks Batman's perfect. Don't you think that's a lot? That's not a logical fallacy. <laughs> not sure those two things are equivalent. I'm pretty sure there's some gap that you bridged there. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Is it possible that like Facebook's algorithm, you're just mm-hmm. trying to build outrage to get more views? That, well, I did have the clickbait last episode with the rage quit, and I'm pretty sure I've gotten the most views I ever had on my YouTube video. So... It works. It works. I'm only building his outrage because it's fun. Aha. <laughs> so you have just admitted it then. I guess. But I don't know. I just... Mischaracterized him for your own amusement. Well, I... You know what? You say what you want to say. He always defends Batman, so I thought it was a logical leap. And I will call him out when I'm talking about Bat-Jerk, and I'll ask him to explain things. Uh, The other thing he said was that he demands to be on for Batman Fugitive Murderer. And that actually recently came up. I was talking with him about that, and and I said, oh, I'll have to look for a good co-host for that. And he said, you've already found them. And I said, oh, I don't know. I'll have to check my Excel document because I don't really trust you as with my pot, but it is on the Excel. So he will come on for the Batman murder, fugitive murderer. So we can be disappointed in advance. I oh. look, <laughs> look forward to hearing it. I did read Bruce Wayne murderer and fugitive. I don't know. A couple of years ago. Mm. So I remember a little bit. Yeah. My next. So thank you, Donovan. And my, you've got someone that is your advocate in Carolyn, because <laughs> clearly I'm not going to advocate for you. My next person did write in. It's from Ian Prime, a.k.a. Ian Miller. He says, Dear Stella, while I'm afraid I cannot comment on The Last of Us 1 or 2, not having played it or being much of a gamer, I am pretty much completely in agreement with you on your commentary for Batgirl 47. I saw some comments on Twitter saying, sometimes angrily, that this issue was Babs having a complete victory over Joker and sometimes being mad because they like Joker better than Babs. Wow. So they're angry because of that issue, but on 
Joker terms. And I'm baffled by this reading. Bad spends the whole issue at Joker's mercy. Yes, she fights back, but as you point out, failing every single time. And her victory its at the end is Pyrrhic at best and won't mean anything to the Joker since he's going to continue to be the main villain in the main Batman title. The whole thing is quite literally a rehashing of the killing joke, and that's so frustrating to me. I also liked the art, but it was in service to a story which just subjected Babs to the same situation we've already seen. You'd think DC would have learned the frustration this kind of depiction causes with the change the cover controversy during the Burnside run. And the problem is it would be so easy to do a tie into Joker War without rehashing Joker War. Maybe he means the killing joke. Without rehashing the killing joke in such an offensive way. Have Babs being a detective, finding clues about what Joker is up to, and warning Batman, foiling some of his plans. If you can't have her actually take Joker down because he's the center of the event, have her take down a side plot. Arg. Yours in rage quitting, Ian. Uh, my thoughts had already been spoken in in anger on the previous episode. Do you have anything to say about 47, or do you want to reserve your thoughts as they tie into 48? Which we do prefer. You know, I, 48 seems like it's completely different now. It, it, I mean, except for the first couple pages with Joker there. So it is, well, and the whole chip situation. So it's, if you want to talk about 47 now, be my guest. All right. I, yeah, I think that the, like he says, I guess the idea is supposed to be that she's in control and she's victorious and she's strong with or without the use of her legs. But um, like we were talking about at the beginning, if you're using disability as a plot device and you're using this chip as a way to turn disability on and off, that's not very good storytelling. And it's also offensive to people with disabilities. It should be offensive to people who are not currently living with disabilities, you know, so it's boring. It's offensive and boring to tell this same story repeatedly. It, it struck me as uh, having, okay. So there's this part where Barbara says what, or she thinks what scares a man most, a woman who laughs at him. What really, really bothered me about this is that maybe the writer doesn't know the rest of that quote, which is from Margaret Atwood, you know, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale and other stuff. The, The full quote is, men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid men will kill them. Hmm. It's not funny. It's not a quote that's meant to empower women to laugh at men. So her then saying, Barbara, keep laughing. It's a good weapon is a real problem because, you know, in real life, you know, most women who are murdered are murdered by men that they know very well. That's not true of, of men who are murdered. Most So it's not funny. <laughs> women have to unfortunately take that very seriously. Women should be afraid that men will kill them because most women killed are killed by men. And most of them are killed by men that they're in a very close relationship with. So having Barbara save half of that quote and then having her kind of laugh. And then after that, having the Joker control her body is um, ignorant and gross. And having it end with a laugh like the killing joke and like that issue of Batman where Catwoman laughs, it's not clever. It's just plagiarism. There's no point to it. It doesn't develop the Joker's character. It doesn't develop Barbara's character. It's out of character for Barbara. And um, in short, I guess I would say that 
this is one of the worst issues of Batgirl I've ever seen. And I have literally read every single one of them. Yeah. So that's the shortest way I can express how I feel. Yeah. So I have several follow-up points to that. Thank you for that. I mean, I'm, I'm glad also that I, I wasn't alone. Donovan actually called me, I think that night that that episode aired and, and talked to me about like, I opened his eyes to that and he, cause he read it and he thought it was bad, but he didn't think it was so, so bad, which I even commented, I think when I was talking about it. And so it's good to know just that it's not just me because of how connected I am with Barbara Gordon, but it really was poorly written. I feel like. So one, let's see, what was trying to think of which point I want to tackle first of what you just said. Oh, one of the thoughts was I couldn't remember if this was the worst I had read or not. So because I was thinking back to Gail Simone that I I did not care for that run at all. But I don't think I ever and I was recently flipping through because I was trying to figure out about JJ, which we'll talk about soon. But I feel like that is honestly the lowest I've ever given something. And you yourself are saying in your biblical not biblical like your biographical reading bibliographical that's what it would be i guess bibliographical reading that that was the worst that you ever ever read yeah when i wrote my super women book i made a point to make sure that i had literally read every issue of batgirl not only because and i did that with all the chapters too not only because i wanted to be comprehensive Mm -hmm. Uh, but also so I could avoid that inevitable moment at a conference when somebody stood up and said, but what about issue 29? No, I read that one too. And no, (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to know what I was talking about. So, um, and I've kept up with it since then. So yeah, I've read them all. This is probably the worst. Okay. And if it were just offensive, like really creative, but it's like I said, it's offensive and it's boring and it's Ashed and it's it's just I just want this run of Batgirl to end. I just yeah. want it to end. That's my chant now. Three more issues. Three more issues. Stella, you can make it. You said you use the word plagiarism with the Killing Joke. No. Would you? Is is that? Do you stand by that? Do you think it is an homage? And then, if you think it's plagiarism or even homage, what do you think about how I was able to see or connect? that laughing moment where she laughs and he gets upset back to that, uh, was it the 96, 96 tie into the best Batman and Robin, the best Batman film, Batman and Robin, whereas Batgirl and yes, you know, it's true where Batgirl laughs at him. Is that an homage? Is that plagiarism? I have no memory of that because okay. like people, I've only seen Batman and Robin once cause it's no, not good. No. Yeah. Um, no, I think I've seen it twice. But anyway, what I, when I said plagiarism, I meant that it, it was plagiarizing that issue of Batman where the Joker and Catwoman are lying on the floor. Okay, you know? okay. It's literally so, the same. So, yes. now, I mean, what I should, what one wants to hear in this kind of situation when one writes a story like that is, oh, what a, what a clever homage. I, a lot of people really liked that Batman story. I didn't. I thought it was out of character for Catwoman, and I think this is out of much, much much way 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 out of character for Barbara Gordon but I don't know who this Barbara Gordon is anyway and I'm not sure most of the writers after 2011 have either yeah I'm glad so I'm glad that you got that connection because I thought it was that same issue the tie-in to the wedding and Don had written in afterwards and he said this is also an homage to a panel where I guess it was the one that he and I covered where Cass and Shiva are laying down 
also next to each other. But they're not laughing. I don't think they're laughing. Right. This is because they've just fought and now yeah. they Yeah, I don't think they're laughing though. I'd have to double check on that. But he said, and I don't, you know, who knows if we're giving too much credit to the um, the writer for like pulling back in there. So then there's my other point is, and I do want to get to Margaret, that quote. So I hope there are all these thoughts that I have in my head. How much credit is, isn't even the right word, but how, how much do you hold Casalucci accountable for what we have been reading and how much do you feel like it's it's the editors? I mean, do you think the editors just said Batgirl and Joker need to have this altercation? This is what, it, and then it's just her filling in the gap. So we do need to hold her accountable for that, or do you think it's it's more than that? I think that Gail Simone's run on Birds of Prey is probably in my top five favorite comic runs ever, and I. At, when I read it, felt like nobody knows Barbara Gordon like Gail Simone. Nobody. When I read her Batgirl run after The Cure, you know, um, I was like, this is a tough sit. I, I'm, I almost felt like it didn't feel like the same author to me anymore. But then more and more stuff started to come out about the constraints that she was given. Like Barbara couldn't have any of the friends that we had seen before. Barbara needed to have a love interest. Barbara needed to have the use of her legs. You know, so like those are big constraints because what was so great about, um, and she's younger and she hasn't been Oracle, you know, she was only Oracle for a brief time. So like each of those things was a strength of Gail Simone's Birds of Prey. All of those things really went into how she characterized Barbara as as a mother figure and a mentor figure and a friend and a girlfriend and a leader. She couldn't do any of that. That was all taken away. Um, and she had to be younger and she had to have the use of her legs. So how Gail Simone implemented her run, given those constraints, I didn't enjoy reading it. But now that I look back at it compared to the last couple dozen Batgirl issues, I feel like, yeah, I was right. She knows who Barbara Gordon is, but she was writing within these constraints that she really couldn't control. Mm. So I do think it's very possible that Casalucci was told what you pretty much what you said, you know, like this is these two have to have a confrontation and it has to end in this particular way. And James Jr. has to be an antagonist, you know, that kind of thing. But so you got some limited agency writing wise and how you get there. And I think think that Gail Simone had a lot of experience writing the character before she got those handcuffs put on her mm-hmm. and that it would be hard for someone with less experience with Barbara Gordon to come up with something as true to the character. Is that as fair as I can be? Yeah. It's interesting, especially because Gail Simone has, I think, a lot of weight behind her name or at least more than potentially Scott did or Castellucci. And so... And it seems like Scott, at, at the very least, couldn't push back or anything. Because I made the point last episode that, you know, I could make a stand and say this isn't what Barbara Gordon would do. But DC could just fire me and get a stand-in writer. There's really no safety there, it seems like. So it's just interesting that someone that has a weight behind her name, like Gail Simone, had to also deal with these very same issues. And the fact also, that's what, 2011? And we're in 2020 and the same stuff is happening where writers 
female writers? I don't know. Is it writers all? I mean, Scott Snyder's probably not dealing with this. I'm going to say that. Or Brian Michael Bendis. So female writers are not having much agency or, yeah, a voice with their own tales. Well, and more of the newer writers are women and white women and women of color and also men of color. And the newest people are the most vulnerable people. So um, they're going to have the least sway. But Gail Mm. Simone also said that when they asked her if she wanted to write that bad girl, she basically was like, no, I don't, you know, I, that's not my Barbara Gordon, you know, but they pretty much told her, okay, well, fine. But if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it with these particular constraints. So Gail Simone kind of thought that she would try to do her best with that. Someone she trusts rather than, yeah, some unknown quantity potentially. Okay. Well, Ian, thank you for writing in. I'm, I'm a bit flummoxed. I think he even used that word, but I'm flummoxed why people are, I guess, praising 47 or they're upset that Babs had a victory over the Joker because they're, they like the Joker better than Babs. But people, I don't know. I always seem to be in an opposite opinion as people on the internet. So I'm, I'm used to that, but I'm glad that you're at least there with me and Ian's there and, and Donovan. So it's not just me being crazy. Did you want to say something about Margaret Atwood? Oh yes. Thank you. Yeah. You, yeah. Thank you. This is why it's good to have a co-host. So I brought this up with Sam. This is one of my pet peeves out of context Bible quotes. Now I know that's not a Bible quote, but it's, this is why I don't like, that's what she did. She absolutely took that quote, cut it in half and used it to serve her own purpose. But when you pull back, it's a terrible quote to use. And that's why, yeah. I can't, I didn't even know that. Thank you for, see, you opened my eyes again. I'm actually not a fan of the Margaret Atwood. So uh, it, it was I can't was remember good. where it's from though. I can't, sorry. I can't remember if it's from The Handmaid's Tale okay. or something else that she wrote. I, but I know for sure that it was her that said that. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I, do you think she, well, she knew probably, but I, I wonder what would have happened if she had, if <laughs> you could have had the Joker fill in the gap at the other end and women are, now that would have been a more interesting story, honestly. Yeah. Right. If she, if she, you know, laughed at him and he said something like, "You might think that I'm afraid that you're going to laugh at me, but or something," you know, yeah. that would be sort of menacing. But the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think what we were supposed to get is she's so smart, which obviously not because he can get into her apartment yet again mm. without her being able to figure that out. But um, that she's so smart that she can figure out a way around this, which is, you know, self-mutilation. Yeah. Yep. So that's the only way women can win against men. I don't know. Yeah. It's, not, it's the only way she can win against the Joker. No, she yeah. went up against, she will go up against the Joker and classic birds of prey that you haven't yeah. got yet. And okay. she, and it will be fantastic. Not like this. Yeah. I bet not. Okay, well, thank you, Ian. Next up is Professor Allen, as he he says he's my second favorite professor, the second best professor, and he puts you up as as number one there. Well, well, Stella, well, since you asked for a check on your theology, as discussed in episode 195 in the context of The Last of Us Part Two, you will be pleased to know that you have passed inspection. Of course, now I have to have my business cards reprinted to add chief theology consultant to my current title of lead hairstyle and fashion correspondent. 
By the way, on the heresy scale of St. Thomas Aquinas to Arius, you landed just on the good side of Oregon. Oregon? Oregon? Take care and God bless you, Professor Allen, co-host of Dorkness to Light. So there you go. So I won't be, uh, there won't be people coming for me. And then finally, it's a nice little text chain. Well, it's just really one particular uh, person writing. Normies, normies. I, people love the Sam Heath. So I said, Sam Heath, you better bring the viewership to me. And one of my normie friends, who used to be my nemesis, but then she left. Her name is Ash White. She wrote in after listening to our Politics in Gotham podcast. She said, guys, I watched both sections of your podcast discussion back to back. I couldn't put it down. I carried my phone around with me doing house projects all yesterday afternoon. I cannot express how engrossing it was. I learned so much about politics, philosophy, history, God. It made me miss in-service and lunchtime conversations with you guys and our Cove peers so much. And then some uh, crying emojis. And was there anything else? I think that, yeah, I would watch a million episodes of you two discussing important things. And then I told her that I would post this on here. I also sent that episode to the boss lady, and uh, which was, ooh, scary. So we'll see what she has to think about it. But I, I figure if any of my normie friends would watch any, or listen to any of them, it would be that because of Sam and also politics and things like that. But do you have any thoughts on our <laughs> since you know i'm not looking for praise but do you have any you know constructive criticism did you have any thoughts on that particular episode since you're somewhat involved in it yeah i nothing i love more than hearing people critique my work so that was a fun app they critique it actually no i really okay. as, as i actually really did say to you, I did, was not expecting that my chapter would be one of the chapters that you talked about because you and I have kind of already talked about it. You know, I I, I presented part of it at this conference that you and I and Donovan and Josh went to the Batman conference last year. It seems like a million years ago. I know. Yeah. So I guess I, I don't know. Yeah. But just because you and I talked about it didn't mean you were necessarily done talking about it. So I do appreciate that you did. And I'm glad that it seemed like you mostly liked it. Um, I can tell Sam that uh, I did have images, but DC denied me permission to use them, which happened with my Superwomen book also. Mm. That's why it's all screen grabs. Okay. uh, Because they're considered fair use because they're just a teeny tiny fraction of a film or a TV show. Um, My new book for whatever reason, different publisher, there are lots of comics images in it. And, uh, you know, the the publisher is considering a comics panel here and there fair use along okay. with scraps of TV and movies. So, um, but I agree with you not having the images is a drag. Yeah. If, if he would like the PowerPoint that I used at the conference to see the costume stuff I was talking about, I'm happy to send it to him. Yeah. Cause I kept having to like Guggenate, as he said, and like show yeah. it up and yeah, everything. So I'm happy to do that. Um, I also really liked the Christina Knopf chapter. And I'm not just saying that because she and I have become friendly over the last year. We met met at a conference in Toronto last August. And so, yeah, I thought I liked that chapter as well. Um, And Aiden Diamonds, um, which was the one more about violence. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So the only, the, I thought it was a really good show, but you know, I, I mean, it was sort of like my total, my wheelhouse yeah. uh, because I teach a political thought 
class. So I kind of got the references that Sam was making and I had read the book. Um, So I don't know. I hope your audience was not so narrow as like it has to be people who are political scientists who also happen to teach a political theory class because I'm not sure how much that overlaps in the with the BTO world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was fun. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I warn people about politics and that there'd be religion. So I, I, I guess if that's not in the, their wheelhouse, then they'll skip over it. But yeah, I mean, I think every every episode of your show is about politics, really. <gasps> I, I mean, all, all comics have politics in them. There's politics in how they've decided um, who to center and call a hero and what kinds of people mm-hmm. are called enemies. There's politics in how some people are portrayed as strong subjects and other people are portrayed as just kind of, you know, one dimensional objects to be looked at. And there's politics in when anytime you talk about what superheroes do, which is often vigilanteism, there's usually some kind of stand on what is right and what is wrong. All that stuff is politics. Mm -hmm. Sorry, but it's true. Well, I guess we'll see. And hopefully I didn't lose any viewership if there were, big Trump supporters and we had to talk about Donald. Okay, well, we'll move on. <laughs> I don't want you to get angry. Ooh, okay, we're about to get into some, I think, happier stuff and then we'll take a tonal dip and then we'll come back because we'll talk about literature and then we'll play, we'll perform a little scene and act, we'll act a little scene out. You're not prepared for it, but that's okay. Okay, so first up, It'll be in our fifth hour, listeners. Okay. That's offensive to me. Oh, my heavens. Okay. Backroll number 13. We're only two and a half in. Backroll 13, (laughs) which the subtitle is Batgirl. April 2001, (laughs) writer Kelly Puckett, penciler Damian Scott, inker Robert Campanella, and colorist Jason Wright. There's no Barbara appearance, but I feel like I should actually cover all of these back rolls. And also this ties into 14, so it makes sense. Here we go. This is taken from DC, DC Wikia. The U.S. government ordered an agent named Johnson, who is their best sniper, to assassinate Cassandra Kane. But when uh, <laughs> Johnson had Cassandra, who was sitting in the back of a... Ah, this is weird. Are you sure that was Cassandra Kane? Hmm? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't... Whoa. I'm not sure about this, but um, this is what happens when I didn't preview this. He was hired to assassinate someone. I didn't think that person in the car was Cassandra Kane. Now I'm going to have to look through that. It, w- it was clearly a woman, but anyways... When Johnson had this woman who was sitting in the back of a car in his telescopic sight, she actually spotted him and Johnson could not pull the trigger. Well, that makes sense then, given that story point. But why was Cassandra in a car and whose car was it? Hmm. Later, Cassandra watched how Johnson was chased by CIA agents. Despite being in imminent danger, Johnson tried not to hurt any innocent pedestrians, in particular the small boy. He jumps over them. Uh, but the federal agents actually just kind of trampled over the kid. Cassandra decides to follow and help Johnson after he got caught. And although Johnson thought that he did not deserve her help, she showed her appreciation by giving him a train ticket as well as a new ID to start over somewhere else. Okay. So apologies about that. It makes me seem unknowledgeable. But I didn't think that that was Cassandra right here. 
she was looking at me. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense given that she would, I mean, of all people, be able to spot someone. But I just didn't think that that was Cassandra. Why would Cassandra be in a car? That's a good question. But I thought that she was looking at me part was supposed to tell us that it was her. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So anyways, there's that. So I'll go back to the beginning of it. Uh, I like to talk about the covers now. So what did you think about this? This is CIA, which I thought it was the FBI. Good gosh. Okay. So anyways, he's got a CIA agent badge and yeah, he's being punched. I don't punched. think they have badges, but okay. Because <laughs> they're supposed to be secret plumbers. Yeah. And it's the Batgirl costume, which is a bit uh, of a lie, given that's one of the story points in the next issue, that she wasn't wearing that. And I can't tell what this is. It's an eight, like a sign with an eight. I don't I don't know where that eight is coming from. But it, it's probably actually not Johnson, but one of his cohorts. What were you saying? Just if you're a cop and you have a badge number. But again, almost oh. certainly CIA people don't have badges. You might be right that that's his badge number at the back, yeah. And I thought it was the FBI, but I guess I'm wrong on that. Okay, let's see here some of my, my points. Ooh, the art. And in particular, I've got a question on the coloring because it seems to switch. I'm going to have to find the particular. So reticle, that makes sense that you've got the, the, the color changing there. Let me find which one. Ah, this is the particular one. So it's darker toned, which it is at night. We can see the shadows and everything. But it's interesting once they get outside, how it turns this particular, I don't know, sepia, sepia, sepia tone. Uh, And even I think there's another example that I could potentially find that. And yeah, so see, then we have this red all of a sudden. What do you think about this, the coloring, the wash almost that they do with, with some of these pages? I thought that the red was through the scope. Oh. Sam. Yes, that makes sense because he is, our agent is down there looking through. Yep, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Like when he was in the car earlier. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think about the the sepia tone once they step outside onto yeah, the I mean, roof? very often that's used more for a flashback or something. So mm-hmm. I, I wasn't, I didn't know if I was missing something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you that there were just uh, – this would be the time to have Donovan because he always has these insights of why there's this tonal change. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm clearly the inferior co-host. Oh, my gosh. I didn't mean it that way. I'm so sorry. I just mean like he always – oh, I can't say anything. You know, just make it worse. I okay. wasn't fishing for an apology from you. I was just trying to compliment Donovan. Oh, okay. Well – I apologize. Uh, Next one we've got, or next comment for me. Oh, yes. Okay. Do you feel like this issue might be a commentary on secret agencies, wet work, the things the government does? I'm actually thinking about this great film starring Kylo Ren on Amazon called The Report, which I recommend, which talks about torture and and the history of the CIA and, and America using torture to get information. Do you think there's a commentary on any of that? Because we find out that Johnson, it, all of his assassinations, there was something deeper than that, or they actually had nothing to do with any sort of plot. They were just some sort of person that he was assigned. Or do you think, hey, it's just a story of Cass helping somebody out who has made some mistakes in the past, but she sees some good in him and wants to help him out? I think it can be taken in in different ways. Like um, if you look at 
Batman comics, you know, sort of a long span of it or Wonder Woman comics or whatever. It's like sometimes they're aligned with government and sometimes they're not. And so I think what tends to happen and like Jim Gordon is a good example of this, like, you know, Gotham is corrupt, but Jim Gotham PD is corrupt, but Jim is not. And Renee Montoya is not, you know, that kind of thing. So it's like, there's kind of a mistrust of institutions Mm -hmm. in that comics because otherwise there'd be no need for Batman, but they take care to try to pull out, you know, good apples within that. So I think I felt like it was kind of an extension of that. Okay. And here I'm seeing FBI sharp. That's the the news that they're going to run the next day to indict him, but FBI sharpshooter. So I was right that they're, it's FBI, but at the beginning, or the cover at least is telling us it is CIA. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Cass sees this guy running and hopping over the the kid and seeing that there's good in him? Is this portraying her as naive or too trusting just in that action and, and seeing him like that? Because she doesn't investigate, I feel like, the situation as Batman would. She just goes to that warehouse or wherever they were and then and then goes after him. Is this Cass's nature? Do you feel like she might be too trusting of, of people and just reads a situation and, and understands it? I think the latter. I think that it was trying to show us that just as Cass was trained to be an assassin, but she chooses a moment to say, stop. And then is trusted and changes and is is taken into the Bat family. She Mm -hmm. saw that potential like that in this guy because she's so savvy and she reads people so well. Okay. I can, yeah, I can see. It's interesting though to pair this up, this moment as we're seeing now, which doesn't have a sepia, but it's got the red of the, (laughs) of the gun. So that's interesting with the fact that she knew him to be an assassin or at least be aware of that. So I wonder what goes through her mind, like thinking he's got a gun bad, but then seeing him jump over this kid good. He was trained to be an assassin, but his instincts, Mm. his true self is good, like Cass. Yeah, that's true. Do you think her world as she sees it is black and white or do you think everything is gray for her? Hmm. Well, she, but she paints this in a black and white way. Mm. I can tell you're good. Therefore, I will help you. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the end, which is kind of answered in the next issue, but just as I was reading it, I thought it was interesting that she gives all these documents, but we didn't have a scene with Oracle because clearly Oracle would have been the one to get this all set up. And and I wondered why there wasn't a scene between the two of them. And I thought that could have been interesting dialogue just to see Cass work through the feeling she has putting them into words and talking with Oracle about this situation and, and this agent here. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But, I mean, that's just because I want more Babs in my issues. Uh, any last thoughts on Batgirl 13? Hmm. No, I think I would. I, I'll talk after the next one. <laughs> okay. Do you want to rate them separately or together? Together, I think. Okay, sounds fine. So I'm going to stop this screen share. Isn't this fun? Now it won't be fun when I screen share 48. <laughs> By then the sun will have set and uh, you'll be able to see me because the reason we started 10 minutes late is because I seem to have broken all the lights in this room Man. and I don't know how to fix them. So 
We got to be done. Heaven's above. Okay. Now the pressure is on. Okay. Here we go. There's back row. I'll leave that up. So this is back row 14. Uh, uh Uh-oh. I have it listed as back row. That's not really the subtitle, is it? Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, sometimes it's on the last page. Okay. So there is no title, I suppose. Well, we'll call it a Knight alone. Apologies, people. Okay, this is May 2001. Writer Kelly Puckett, penciler Damian Scott, inker John Lowe, and colorist Jason Wright. After clashing with the CIA, whatever, other agencies of the U.S. government are observing Cassandra Kane much closer. After having evaluated video footage, experts are sure that her single skills are not metahuman but her aggregate speed definitely is. Samples of Cassandra's DNS lead absolutely nowhere. She exists in no database. Meanwhile, Cassandra is back at the clock tower after she said goodbye to Agent Johnson. Oracle is not happy that Cassandra fought against the federal agents without hiding her face behind a mask. With a compromised identity, she will not be able to build up a personal life, but right now Cassandra is only interested in being Batgirl anyway. During the night, Cassandra is visited by Batman, who orders her to accompany him to a cabin outside. <laughs> Sorry. To a cabin outside of Gotham City. Batman explains that the thugs inside the house have killed Agent Johnson. Now the Dark Knight takes a step aside and lets Cassandra beat up these murders because that's what a father does. Afterwards, Batman drives Cassandra to her new home. He prepared a Batcave for her because she cannot stay with Oracle anymore without risking compromising Barbara's identity. And might I add, he leaves Cassandra alone. So we'll talk about that. Okay, as you can see, this lovely cover over here with Bat Jerk in the background. And you got Batgirl with her actual suit on, but no cowl. But her hair is acting as a cowl. Thoughts on this particular cover? I think it's really cool looking. And I like the red accents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I think her hair and her eyes look really Cool, too. Mm-hmm. And then as I thought about it more... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it looks cool. I do also think it kind of plays with Orientalist iconography, right? Mm-hmm. Because the way that only her eyes are shown can be taken as kind of a, a ninja sort of thing, an mm-hmm. East Asian ninja, or as a Middle Eastern veiling type thing. Yeah. But aesthetically, I think it looks really neat. Yeah, absolutely. There she is, Carolyn Coca, opening our eyes since 2017, 16, whenever your, when did your first book come out? Uh, sorry, when did the book, The Superwoman come out? Uh, 2016, yes. 2016, there she's been opening our eyes. Okay. I felt like this issue actually brought up a good question about hopes, what hopes we have for someone else whether it is in their benefit or does the person's desires, the one that's hoping for the other, get in the way and whether that's fair. So in context, do you feel like Barbara's hopes for Cassandra come from a good place and that she doesn't want all of her life to be Batgirl and she wants her to have some sort of personal life? She mentioned school, things like that. Is that Barbara sort of projecting maybe of what you would want anyone to is it coming from a good place is she being selfish what do you think about this i think she's just playing that maternal mentor role that she usually plays with cassandra and 
this is not the first time that she's expressed concern for Cassandra, like only training and only crime fighting. She, you know, has supported her, tried to get her to think about pursuing other interests and having more of a well-rounded life, which maybe Cassandra's ready for and maybe not. We can talk about the Batman part in a minute. Yeah. I, I think of... I feel like it's a trope now, but with films I have seen or TV shows, if there's ever tension between a parent and a child and it might be over college or something and, you know, you all, you always wanted to go to Yale. No, you wanted me to go to Yale, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And I just wonder, yikes, is it, is this Barbara trying to, to push something on? And I feel, you know, knowing Barbara, I feel like it does come from a good place. But sure. also, yeah, I think it's also her experience that Barbara had a personal life and this other identity. So I, I think there's also something of that should be what everyone wants in this superhuman community. But I shouldn't say superhuman, but in this Bat family, that should be what everyone wants. But that's just not what Cass wants. So I think there's well, a selfless and a selfish, perhaps. But I think even if Cass doesn't want that right now, she's just taken a lot of her choice away to have it at some point in the future. Yeah. So I think that's Barbara's concern. I mean, this is sort of a, like you, I I took it differently as teenager, maybe doesn't totally think through decision Mm. and parent points out the consequences. It's not, I mean, I know when we were teenagers, we thought we knew everything, but now that we're old, we recognize we really didn't know that much. Sure. So she doesn't know another way to live beyond what she, right now so yeah um, Barbara kind of slowly shows her that green eyes that's what I'm talking about that's what we would all like but it gets confusing yeah I I like that panel there that she just her concern you can see with on her face on Barbara's face and uh I would also say for my chief hairstylist correspondent that she is wearing a bandana on her head this time which I think it's the first time I've ever seen well I think she's had what are those called Headbands, headbands, but not, I don't ever remember her wearing a bandana. This is what you would call a bandana, yes? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't recall her wearing that before. Yeah. So. I would have to look back, but I don't remember her wearing that before. Yeah. So, Alan, take notes, sir. Take notes. So then we get to Batman. Do, 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 do. And, well, first of all, Cass disobeys Batman because he says to grab your costume and she ends up wearing this scandy little thing that she's been wearing this entire time. So she disobeys him. So this is probably the fifth time she should have been fired. Donovan. Uh, No, there is one. (laughs) I'm sorry. This, there's one quote here. Uh Aha. Yes. He says, I know about your conversation. I'm glad you want to use your identity. It makes you a more effective weapon. So I, I too to- called out that sentence in, in my notes. Ooh. So I've got a clarification. Which identity? I assume it's the Batgirl and that he, this is what I'm assuming. So I'm trying not to be judgmental of the Batman, but I feel like what he's saying is I'm glad you want to use Batgirl and that because you want to be Batgirl, 100% of the time, you will be an awesome weapon. Is that, am I correctly reading this like that? Is that the what he means by identity? Use your identity? Hmm. No, I didn't take it that way. Okay. But I, I see what you mean. I, I guess I took it as showing your face. Oh. Yeah, uh, but I didn't, well, 
Okay. There are two things. The, mm-hmm. It makes you a more effective weapon. Yep. First of all, I felt like that is so not what Barbara is saying to her, right? Barbara's saying, I want you to have a full life. Mm-hmm. And Batman's like, okay, cool. You're a more effective weapon. Like, okay, do you, I look, we know Batman loves Cassandra, but that's not what we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. So I felt like he was just talking about her like she was a thing, like Mm -hmm. she was a tool. And I just felt like that is not, that's not the Batman that I like to see with Cassandra, I guess, is is a way of thinking about it. And then I was like, use your identity. Does he think, uh, does he think she's going to be scarier because she is wearing all black and has an Asian face? Does that somehow make her a more effective weapon to show Mm -hmm. that face? Because nothing else is different. She's just showing her face versus not showing her face. Yeah. So I I didn't, I just thought, I thought that that panel, like I read it over a few times, like, I think I'm not getting this. Yeah. And if I am, the way I took it, I did not like. Yeah. I agree that I, same, I had read it multiple times, just also trying to figure out what he actually meant. And yeah, I didn't think it, this whole section of this book, I think is rather negative, which we'll, I think we'll get into, but I feel like it contradicts and maybe it's just Nolan, the Nolan films, but it contradicts what I feel like Batman normally says that the mask, you know, instilling fear in others. And then compared to her actual fate, I feel like the mask that's stitched up and is actually horrifying on its own would be more effective as a tool, as a weapon, not her being a weapon, but just as, as part of that rather than her actual face. Yeah. I mean, her costume is really the most fearsome looking and the most stealthy than, than compared to anybody's. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I just didn't get it. And also the um, Oracle insisted on keeping you with her. Like Barbara is holding her back by like caring for her. Yeah. I don't know. Ooh, this, this is one of those parents thing, parents at odd odds, parents having, I think different ideologies or bif- different beliefs uh, for their child and that causing an issue because I think Oracle, I think, Cassandra should stay with Oracle because Oracle is doing more than just having a house for her to stay in. And and she's not put an ankle monitor on her. She's also teaching her different things about the world. She was, she's the one who is letting her go through the database and and look at different uh, villains and things like that. And also how to read. So now you've, you've taken that away. And then the fact that this is problematic I could not believe this, honestly. I mean, Bat Jerk, for sure, as Donovan knows, I like to point out, that he, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess Batman is just like, she'll be fine here all alone. I mean, she's been alone for no man's land. Then you've got this loving person with with Oracle and Batman to a certain extent, but then to drop her off here was just really interesting. And the the fact that you you'd compromise Oracle's identity if you stayed with her, You've got Nightwing coming in. You've got Batman. So all of a sudden, Cassandra is going to be the one. And he could be talking about their day trips that they've taken with Barbara and Cassandra with without her mask. But I just, I could not believe this. It rubbed me the wrong way for sure. Well, I tried to look at it in more than one way because the way, the way that I read it initially was absolutely the way that it's framed, like she's so tiny and her word balloon is so tiny 
in this big space. I read it like this is a little girl in a big space and she's all alone and he's left her alone and he doesn't understand her at all. Mm. Like she's more needy than this. She might be super amazing, stealthy, skilled former assassin, but she's still a kid and needs to be around other people. And for all the specific reasons that you talked about with Barbara as well, I guess it could also be read that Cassandra presents herself as someone who just loves to train and does like solitude and is very independent. And so Batman really gets her. And so this is a good thing for her and that she appreciates it, but she's a a girl of few words. So all she says is bye. Mm. Leaves stealthily. So it's like a play on how Batman's always leaving and people don't get to say goodbye to him. So I think that there is a positive way to read it, but that's not how it hit me. It hit me like he doesn't get her. He thinks that she's just a tool and he's leaving her alone with workout stuff, not even a book. Come on, man. So I had difficulty with this. Mm -hmm. I felt, like I said, I felt this is not the Batman that I like to see um, with Cassandra. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really have it. Yeah. The fatherly instincts here. He seems to just misread the entire situation and only treat her as the weapon or the tool, which is unfortunate. Yeah. The other issue I take with Batman is what he does with these murderers. Do you disagree with what he does here? I mean, he clearly knows what's about to happen. So he sets up, he gives context for it. And of course, Johnson, he lays it out. Not kindly, I would say. I mean, it's just, I I guess it's clinical, right? He just says, your friend on the train, he made a call to his mother under a minute, but it was long enough. So there's no compassion there. It's just very sanitized, I suppose. Can I go ahead? And then afterwards, he knew what she was going to do. Afterwards, he says, good. Now we turn them in, see who looks for them. But he like unleashes her and he knows what's about to happen. Obviously, he trusts her that she is not going to kill them. But do you feel like this is responsible in, in letting her do this extent? Well, then they could have just taken them out not as violently as this and, and sent them to, but he just, I feel like allows her to unleash her fury on them as far as she is able. Yeah. I guess what we're supposed to think is he knows her so well, he knew she would react this way and that what she would want to do. So he was enabling her to do it. And also it helps his agenda of having criminals fear him and her, but in the larger context of the story and contrasting his behavior with Barbara I mean, I just think it's it's needlessly violent and yeah. maybe as a parental figure, he could teach her other ways of dealing with disappointment and anger other than flattening people. That doesn't seem like the greatest kind of life teaching to yeah. me. It reminds me of just this panel over here on the left where you have a shadow and she's down. I mean, it reminds me of, honestly, Palpatine and Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> you know, like, good job. Wow. That's good. <laughs> it just yeah kind of and the blood you know looking at dooku laying down there or something like it just yeah, like it's that. menacing yeah in a, in a bad way yeah 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 good analogy good Anakin, good <laughs> kill him kill him now
I shouldn't. Do it. You did well, Anakin. He was too dangerous to be kept alive. Yes, but he was an unarmed prisoner. I shouldn't have done that. It's not the Jedi way. It is only natural. He cut off your arm, and you wanted revenge. It wasn't the first time, Anakin. Remember what you told me about your mother and the Sand People? Now we must leave before more security droids arrive. Okay, let's see what else do we have. Oh, we this is the third story where someone that casts helps or is trying to help gets killed. Since we are now clearly in a repeated theme, does this tell us anything about Cass? Uh, for me, it's like, are we trying to portray her as incapable? <laughs> you know, like these people she's helping, they're dying, and then she has to then it's on her, that weight is on her, and she's got to do something about it. We had Karen from the last issue, and then way back when, I can't remember his name, but the guy who was killed at Blackgate, I think it was, and just having to pick up that weight, and now it's on her shoulders, and how does she deal with it? Is this, it's just accidental, or is it a theme? And then if it is a theme, what do you think this tells us about Cass, maybe intentionally or unintentionally from the writers? Well, it's funny, because on the one hand, we're kind of, we're kind of led to believe that she is a great strategist and a great fighter, if not the greatest fighter. Now there will be a point that Batman says that he is better than her. I don't remember when that is, but that does happen. Or wait, no, I'm sorry that she is better than him. (gasps) I didn't say that right. He says that, but I can't remember when or even in what series, but he does say it. Maybe that's true of her fighting, but it doesn't seem to be true of her ability to think through stuff that's going to happen. So it could be just that the comic is trying to show this. She's trying to get into the real world. She's trying to be Batgirl. She has to deal with all these consequences where it's not so simple as a black and white. You punch someone, they're knocked out, and that's the end of it. There's always other stuff that happens, and she has to learn about that. But I don't feel like he's teaching her about Mm -hmm. that. So if the point is to say she needs to learn how to deal with that, then someone needs to help her with that part. Yeah. And just letting her beat dudes up is not helping her with that part. And now that she no longer lives with Barbara, she doesn't have Barbara to talk to regularly mm-hmm. about it. But you're right. The pattern the pattern could be taken in, in a couple ways. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to work through it. I don't want to... I like Cassandra, and, and I'm also hyper aware of Donovan listening to this and always defending Cassandra, but it just feels like because the same thing has happened and these people that she's trying to help, and it seems like she's failing in some way, even though a lot of it is out of her hands. Like she, she did everything she could with Johnson. It was just Johnson made this mistake, which as an agent, I don't think, I think he would have realized that he sh- should probably get a track phone or destroy his phone. And then he dies it's just like, are we trying to say that she, is she incapable or is that too strong? Is it that she's still new to this and she's still working through? Because I think of Steph as Batgirl or even Steph as, as spoiler in this particular time period that she made mistakes and she was working through. So maybe there's 
a bit of that, but to have this for the third time, she helps someone and that person dies. It's like, I, I'm ready for something else to happen. Is this what, and to, that's like pounding that character down. Like, but it, I do want to just as a contrast with Stephanie, but when it's Stephanie, Batman is just on her, like yeah. you're the worst and you can't be Robin, blah, 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 you know, like he, but with Cassandra, it's like, okay, that dude died. Why don't you beat up these dudes? Yeah. Like, uh, no, not, not so sure much. What, yeah, what that difference is there. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't know what the, the lesson is for poor Cass, but she can only take so much of this kind of thing happening. I don't know how much someone could take before it just completely flattens somebody of, I'm trying the best I can and it keeps not working for me. But I don't know if we'll get to that breaking point. It's been a while since I've read this whole series. So I'm, <sighs> I guess we'll see. I passed over it, but do you think that Batman really is worried about Oracle's identity being compromised? I mentioned it in passing when I was talking about Barbara that, and her. Honestly, I can't see how he is because she can cover her tracks better than anybody yeah. probably in Gotham. I guess he's talking about it like because the two of them go out in public together. Yeah, as so, far as I know, because we have seen them take a day trip together. So yeah, I think he's basically like, you know, not only did you get this guy killed with your poor judgment of not thinking he would call his mother, yeah. um, but you've now basically you're you're about to compromise Barbara's identity. But the the tone of it is not at all like the way he would talk to Stephanie mm-hmm. under similar circumstances. Yeah, and I just read a couple of those issues with Robin, so it's it's interesting. I mean, Stephanie was told where she ranks that she's never going to be as good as Cass, but she could be as good or better than Tim. So I guess that's high praise coming from Batman. Well, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll leave that for the for another time. That's a different podcast. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, uh, what would you give 1314? Uh, what should we say? Um, I don't know. Empty caves. Thir- <laughs> uh, out of 10 empty caves, what would you give? Back row 1314. That's tough because I think the story can be a good one, but mm-hmm. I was I felt I felt like I wasn't getting it. Yeah, and you know it's funny because instead of just immediately blaming the writer, normally I like the writer. Yeah, right. So I'm like, well, it must be me, but I don't know if it's me. <laughs> so I feel like I have to give it more like a seven and a half. Okay. Because if I'm questioning the message and I'm feeling like Batman maybe isn't acting like his usual self, then I don't know. doesn't yeah. sit right with me. What yeah. do you think? No, I, I would agree. I'll give it a little lower and say seven out of 10 empty caves. But I, I do agree that as hard as I am on Batman, I think this is a mischaracterization. But So he's making mistakes, but I feel like it shouldn't be what he would be doing. Okay. Well, here we are, friends. <laughs> are you prepared emotionally? Oh, gosh, you took a seat. Do you need to take a drink of something hard? Nope. Like I'm all right. Let's go. Let's go. Bean. <sighs> okay. As with my reviews of or my plot synopses of late, I've, it's laced with sarcasm and apathy, I suppose. Batgirl 48, a.k.a. 100, a.k.a. 203. Gordon's Never Give Up, part one. Writer Cecil Castellucci, artist Robbie Rodriguez, and colorist Jordi Belair. In a nightmare that I have only had after I've ingested shrooms laced with arsenic, Barbara Gordon is dancing. Here we are. Is dancing with the Joker. And also imagine several interactions between herself, 
and her father and her brother, which is convenient for plot purposes to bring her brother in. Babs, or babes, as we'll later see, wakes up in a hospital room and James is there, now named JJ. Jim couldn't get out of a court date, so we get the next best thing. James, of course. She kind of trusts him, but only enough to get to the roof to find her implant that she dug out of her spine. Oh, and if you're wondering how she got off the roof, it's because some kids on drugs found her and called the police, which I have some issues with, which we'll talk about. JJ and Babes go to her apartment where Jim... Uh, is maybe we'll start calling him Jimmy. I don't know. And he starts yelling, yelling at JJ that he manipulated him into finding out where Babs was. And Babes says, Screw you all. I can take care of myself and goes off rolling up the stairs. Question mark. Outside, JJ and Jim argue further. Jim doesn't trust JJ and tells him to stay away from babes. And JJ tells Jim to stay away from booze. When did he become an alcoholic? I don't know. Because apparently he's Bullock now. Who knows? Interlude. (laughs) Da-da-da-da. A babes lookalike with punk, a pink punk streak is attacked. End interlude. Okay. Babes wheels to the clock tower, sees some texts from Jason, ignores them, then gets to work on the implant. She knows she needs help, and she calls Luke, which is actually really annoying, and I have a personal story to tell if I need, if I remember. Oh, I made that note. Yes, I do have a story about that. So she calls Luke. She needs help. Luke comes right over and calls her Babes. I've got some stuff to say. She's broken. And he tries to pepper up. Look at this. Joker did me in again. He tries to pepper up. They work on the implant. Oh, heavens. I hope she makes it. They work on the implant, talk about living in the shadows of their fathers, and he conducts surgery. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Then throws himself at her right there. Wow. She finally admits that she is dating Jason. Okay. Please note that this is the last time that this can be done with the implant. No joke. There is no next time with the implant. Your nerves won't take it. And we both know what it means if that happens. Okay. She says, I know, and I don't need it to work forever. Just for now, I'm fine without the implant. Okay. There you go. Moments after surgery. The gauze on her back is still bleeding, people. She is leaping from the rooftops. Cause that one smile with a huge grin. (laughs) (laughs) Cause that one in a rip apart your stitches. I know. She is also muting conversations with all male parties. Cause boy, yikes. I, I do have a point about that too. Uh we also see scenes of Jim working out. He's eating some frozen meals. And then also JJ is ignoring messages from a timer, which reminds me of Rent. Remember AZ tea break? Yeah, which reminds me of that. That's the only positive thing I have to say. And then he gobbles down the pills like they're candy, which is kind of weird. Uh, I don't think you're supposed to do that with drugs. And then Backroll gets to a crime scene. Commissioner Bullock, he's now the commissioner, is there. They're thinking maybe they need Jimmy. But we see that the body is of the redhead that we saw with the interlude that looks suspiciously like Barbara. And now she's actually dressed in the Batgirl outfit. So 
Next up, of course, is Who Killed Batgirl? And this whole thing reminded me of, though I didn't, I was looking through so many other issues and researching that I sort of got lazy, but I feel like there's a Bronze Age tale where there was, well, it's the Comorant, I'm pretty sure, where like her old, her old costume was hanging up and people thought that she had died. But I also thought that there was a lookalike Barbara who had been getting killed, or there was this guy that kept dating people that looked like other people, like her and killed, but I didn't look it up. But anyways, here we are, ma'am. Ma'am, you have the floor if you would like to go on your rage quit or we could tackle it together. I, Your guest choice. I could rant, but we can talk about different parts because there are so many different parts. I mean, to summarize how I feel, I don't know who these characters are and I just want this run to end. <laughs> um, Three rages. Well, two more now. Two more but if we start from the beginning, I mean... Why, I don't even know why you're bothering, not you, to do the dancing with the Joker thing, because then he's a complete non-entity. Like, the last issue set it up like this great, you know, Joker and Babs, arch enemies. They're really gonna, oh, okay, no more Joker. All right, he's gone. Well, I guess let's move on to the next thing. I mean, that was an awful lot of work to put into the Babs-Joker dynamic and then just make it go away. So um, why even bother to have this panel here? Because it doesn't relate to anything else yeah. in the issue. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it looks cool. The colors are nice, but huh? What? I don't know. And then that flashback page, I was like, whose life is this? <laughs> right? So but Barbara's uniqueness in the Bat family is she doesn't choose to be Batgirl out of trauma, right? She chooses it because she wants to do good. But apparently she grew up super miserable. Her father was a jerk jerk to her and her brother was a jerk to her. And then we pretty much go from there to she, James JJ shows up and she says something. She thinks he's lying. And then two panels later, she's like, well, what do I have to lose by confiding in, in him? And she says she has to trust him. No, you don't have to trust him. Then a few panels later, she thinks he's a sociopath then maybe don't trust him if he's a sociopath. You probably could call somebody else. I think you know other people in Gotham that you could call, like the way you call Luke Fox, like five pages from now. I don't know. Um, so I just felt like in these, fir- it's only, le- what are we, like three pages in now? Yeah. And I just felt like structurally, this didn't flow for me. Um, in terms of the history of Bar- Barbara Gordon, it didn't work for me. Uh, in terms of continuity from the last issue to this one, it didn't work for me. And I don't find James Jr. remotely interesting. And so that Babs, who's supposed to be basically a genius, would be like, he must be lying. Oh, but I have to trust him. But he's a sociopath. It's like, she would she really go back and forth like that in that way? I don't know. So, and right after that, it's like... JJ and James Gordon are arguing and this is not my James Gordon. I don't know who this dude is. And a lot of the dialogue was like, do people really talk this way? I don't know. There, there are some lines where I just felt like, like does a son say to a father recently, I helped you. (laughs) Is that, is that how people talk? (laughs) Do, do fathers often say to sons, you are a monster. (laughs) 
I always say that to my to Sam Heath. I told someone to call him a monstrosity for me. So I do it, but not my son. So, you know, we can so can we talk about like this part first before we talk about the Luke part? Absolutely. Uh, yes, but they seem to go together, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I will say, have you ever seen Silver Linings Playbook? Mm-mm. There is a part, in my favorite part, actually, which is interesting, given given the whole thing, I'm sure someone else would pick it. But he is in bed reading A Farewell to Arms, and he finishes it, and he says, what the... F-? And then he throws the book out of the out of his bedroom window. It breaks the glass. And then it's like four in the morning. He goes into his parents' bedroom and wakes them up and starts ranting about this. What the f- Stupid f- book. I just can't believe Nikki's teaching that book to the kids. I mean, it's the whole time. Let me just break it down for you. The whole time you're rooting for this Hemingway guy to survive the war and to be with the woman that he loves, Catherine Barkley. It's four o'clock in the morning, Pat. And he does. He does. He survives the war after getting blown up. He survives it and he escapes to Switzerland with Catherine. But now Catherine's pregnant. Isn't that wonderful? She's pregnant. And they escape up into the mountains, and they're going to be happy, and they're going to be drinking wine, and they dance. They both like to dance with each other. There's scenes of them dancing, which was boring, but I liked it because they were happy. You think he ends it there? No. He writes another ending. She dies, Dad. I mean, the world's hard enough as it is, guys. It's hard enough as it is. Can't somebody say, hey, let's be positive. Let's have a good ending to the story. Pat, you owe us an apology. Mom, I I can't apologize. I'm not going to apologize for this. You know what I will do? I will apologize on behalf of Ernest Hemingway, because that's who's to blame here. Yeah, have Ernest Hemingway call us and apologize to us, too. And so the entire time, because I think I texted you, I was on page five, maybe. And I said, yeah, I just want to throw my laptop out of it. And you said, just, you know, keep going. You'll want to do that. But it just felt that way. Like, again, I think I I made a joke to Don that if I had a paper copy of 47, I would have ripped it on screen, which I would never do, you know, because I I take care of my things and and I feel like books and things deserve respect. But, you know, I have similar feeling here. Yeah, so if we start with this, Don said that I would probably curse like Ellie from The Last of Us with this. And yeah, I mean, again, who really wants these two associated? And and again, I have to, you know, why would you want to associate a victim with the victimizer? I just feel like that's sick and, and you don't have, it's bad optics. But she's, I guess, a drug-induced dream. And I will say that it is beautiful. I mean, Robbie Rodriguez does some amazing things. And that splash page on the next it Wait. is really well done. It's just terrible. It yep. is. But if you go back, okay, and scroll back. Yeah. I feel like the top doesn't go with the bottom because the top, her, it's it's like this, she's on the ground bleeding, yeah. but she looks sexy. I have a problem with when those two things go together. And sure. her breasts are the size of her head, which is not the case in the, in the bottom part. Yeah. Like in the bottom part, I think that looks really cool. Mm-hmm. As much as I don't like it story-wise, I think yeah. the art looks really nice. And so I just felt like the top and bottom of the page were dissonant to me. Yeah. I wondered if there was a slight reference to the 1989 Batman because there's that scene in Bruce's, I don't know, suite where Joker says, you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? 
So I wondered if there was a, an attempt at referencing that. But yeah, I'm I, glad you said something would. about the, the boobies because that's your shtick on my show. I do the boobies. I bring You're the, the chief uh, breast I, correspondent. That's me. I come with the feminist killjoy critique and the boobs. There you go. That's fine by me. And I would um, also point out that the boobs on the cover behave in a way that, that boobs do not. Oh, oh, because <laughs> is this the you boob that we've talked about before? I, that's more of a steering wheel on a go-kart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heavens. The things you come up with. Uh, yeah, yeah, gravity, I guess, is not affecting them. Hmm. Maybe he drew the, I, I don't know who did this cover. Maybe he or she or they drew the cover and, and flipped it. Mm, who did do the cover? I also did. Did you think the cover was supposed to be referencing Jason Todd? I did. Oh, yeah, because of the crowbar. The crowbar. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really understand why she's hanging like that. I don't know what's happened. Is that a Jason Todd reference too? Wasn't he on the ground before the bomb went off in Death of the Family? Death in the Family? I guess just I, I can picture more Batman. Yeah. yeah. I have to look back. We'd have to be bat-splained. We'll be bat-splained by somebody else. I'm sure. Okay. So this, you bring up a good point. I was thinking, because, yeah, I was reading this. Let's see. Jim saying, my house, my rules. You should never have been born. I thought, yikes, this is a bit rough. And then down here where he says, Barbara, with your spine fractured life, as you know, it is over. So my reading of it was, and this is, I guess, my, my, my hopeful optimism, that because she, I think, is at this point in the hospital and having a terrible dream that they're perverted memories. So things that would have happened similarly, but she's kind of made it really terrible with everything that's happened? Or do you think this is legitimately a memory? I just feel like it's a dream that because of all the trauma that she's been through, it's it's sort of been perverted in her mind. I think that's definitely a possibility, but I also think it's possible in this run that, that this is real. Okay. Because um, we have seen a different Jim Gordon that's been painted as not dealing as well with Barbara's disability. And so if you translate that to James Jr., he's kind of doing the same thing. He doesn't know how to deal with a mental disability either. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a couple sort of nice-ish parts. I mean, Jim saying, I have to keep Gotham safe. Okay. But... uh, I just don't ever really see him saying you should never have been born. And I guess... So, but, but that, but if you're, I understand what you're saying that everything here is a little perverted. Why would she remember it like that between the two of them? Mm, I'm not sure. And then at the bottom, he says, I'd trade my life for yours. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So it looks really nice. um, Yeah. But I just feel like, I didn't feel like this was Barbara's history as I Mm. had come to know it. Even the new Barbara's history as I've come to know it. Yeah. And this is similar to the last time you were on, or two times ago, when we were doing that weird Dragon Quest (laughs) storyline. Do you remember that there was she was seeing everything in front of her again and we were trying to piece together that history too? So and we've got the the photography imagery again. So there's still that connection with the killing joke. But honestly, this is you're absolutely right about that. Initial page is transition. Let's transition to this. You know, we've got Joker still connected. And then we 
for plot purposes, we had to bring in James. So of course we're going to have this, but it is jarring to see, like we were folks so focused on Joker and now, Oh, we're moving on to James Jr. Now. And this is how we're going to do it with this splash page. And I would say that it's done as artfully as it can be done to make that transition, but it's still, it's still a jarring transition. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, Kasuchi was probably forced into doing the Joker thing, but I don't know, like, was she just told, okay, now you've got to write something about uh, James Jr., JJ. A note about JJ. So Donovan asked me, and we can talk about babes at the same time. Donovan asked me, has Babs ever called James JJ? And to my knowledge, and I looked through killing, what's it called? The Black Mirror, because someone else asked me a question about ages, which I think there's a continuity error in here we can talk about. That, and I was also looking through Gail Simone's run, and then also it would have been Margaret Scott's run when the first tension between father and daughter popped up. Mm -hmm. She has never called James JJ. And has Luke ever called her babes before? So, no. I was uh, thinking the last time we saw Luke was the wedding of Joe and Alicia. Alicia? in Burnside. And I was thinking, I don't think so, but it sounds so familiar. So I went through that issue. And then I thought, wait a minute, someone has called her babes and I found it. Who is it? Who is the one? Frankie. Oh, Frankie is the one who called her babes. That's cute. It is cute coming from uh, Frankie, but not all of a sudden coming from an old love interest that we haven't seen. No, I mean, if he called her that all along, okay, fine. But not only does he say it here, he says it like five times. Yeah. Which, I don't know. Yeah. So I am confused about, so yeah, this, whatever, the trusting and all that stuff, she could do it on her own. Uh, And I also wondered, Jason calls her, but, and he knows she's in the hospital, but he doesn't go see her. That was a bit odd. But the whole dynamic between father, son, father, daughter, sister, brother is odd because the last time we saw this, and I don't know if I'm missing something because I'm not reading all of Batman, James Sr. was really defending James Jr. when he, you know, he was outside of the cell and he said he's gone through this treatment. I have hope that it's he was really defending him and she was rather vicious to him. If you remember, she was beating him up at his house. I don't know if you skipped this. And then he said to her, if you're going to kill me, kill me as my sister, not background. And she actually takes it off. And I'm like, what are you doing? But it's just like this role reversal that even there's like this fluctuation with her relationship with him that kind of she's defending him or whatnot. But the whole father son is completely different from what I had seen before. And to that extreme of calling him a monster, I thought, where where have we changed. So this could be my issue of not reading outside of Batgirl, but this is something that should be explained then in Batgirl of of why all of a sudden the father is not trusting the son when he had hopes for him and was defending him to his sister. I am not, I have not read, I'm not reading Batman right now either. So I can't speak to that. It just stuck out to me as (laughs) last I looked within Batgirl, this was not the dynamic. Yeah. And I also wasn't sure if the thing about these druggy kids found you was a lie. Did you think it was a lie and James found her? Oh, well, didn't the... so random. Didn't the nurse tell them, though? Oh. She said, kids found you bleeding on the roof. They were high, but they did right by you. 
Okay. But I have an issue with that because they found her on the roof, but not the Joker. Okay. Uh, how would the nurse know they were high unless they were arrested? And also my thinking of oh, my only knowledge of people being high is on TV, but um, is that they, the fear of being arrested, they would not call the police. So that I thought that was interesting. And then it just assumes that the Joker ran away and, and didn't finish her off, which is also an interesting thought. Okay. Um, well, I guess they could have called and sounded super high and then run. That's true. I don't know. I mean, there's so many. We could talk page by page about all of this. Ooh, there was one other thing. Was it this one? That he taught her how... <gasps> I like thinking that I helped train you. Oh, my. Did you use the wrestling move I taught you to unpin yourself? Dad disapproved. He thought you were a porcelain doll, easy to break. I knew better. And then she says, I forgot about that. You did teach me a move or two. When it was! When in her history did he ever teach her anything? And when would she ever? She would have done that all on her own. What? That's kind of the point of Barbara Gordon. She learns it on her own. Um, and wasn't he too busy? I don't torturing animals or something. Yeah, and killing her friend in the in the uh, on when they were camping out or whatever in the black yeah, area. No. Yeah. Nope. 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 Very bizarre. How do nope. you think she rolled up those stairs? Yeah. Neat. <laughs> my gosh okay i think we're done well i mean with james as far as i know derpa derpa so yeah do you want to talk about luke and yeah. the tech we and shall Jason. so my personal story is i remember it was probably either my second or third year in college someone facebook messaged me or texted me and i'm pretty sure what she asked for was milk like she said do you have any milk which is really interesting because i hadn't heard from her for at least a year. And also the fact that I would have had to have brought the milk to wherever she was living. And so that's my frustration is I never tried to ask favors of people. I try not to anyways, because it sometimes puts people out, but especially of people that I've not interacted with for years plus. And here we have her, I guess it's a year. Well, it might be more, probably maybe two. I don't know. When she's seen Luke and all of a sudden she's asking a favor. I don't like those types of people. But anyways, here we are. Would you like to, you go first, ma'am. Okay, so I don't know why she's calling Luke mm -hmm. as opposed to someone else. I think Frankie would have made more sense here, but maybe Frankie is not allowed to be used. I don't know. So I guess there's this sort of meta thing where Luke is like, you really shouldn't keep digging that implant out of your body which is just sort of calling attention to how many times she has done it. And she's kind of like flirting with him while he's helping her. And then when he's done helping her, she's like, oh, yeah, I like Jason. I don't know. Like she can't count on she apparently has no female friends and she can't count on the Bat family and she can't count on her father. So she just like calls this ex-boyfriend. And the part that bothered me the most is they have this bonding moment over she doesn't know if, quote, everything and everyone in her life is worth saving. She says something like, I feel that way about, oh, yeah. I feel that, who, 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 who are you? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> You're Barbara Gordon. You're the optimistic one that got into this to help people. I don't know. Who, I don't know who this is. It's almost like something, like, are we in the transition period of her becoming a villain? Like, <laughs> 
you know, uh, Frankie, you're not worth saving. And then, you know, let's cleanse it. Maybe she'll become a, an acolyte of Ra's al Ghul. Cool, 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 cool. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, I knew that Luke was supposed to be good at technology, but I did not know that he could perform delicate surgery. Did you? No, ma'am. And I, I even wrote that this surgery scene is highly unrealistic. And I realized that we're reading comic books here, but she's not even strapped down. She has no, uh, what is it called? Anesthetic? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And she's wriggling around. Give me a break. And then she just stands up. Yeah. And she's got all this blood on her. And then the next scene is she's all smiles. It's yeah. just like, yeah. I'm sure it was fun to draw that splash, splash page. Oh, this one? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, you're not the same lady as you were on the page before, are you? Because I don't see how that could be. You're, you are bleeding through all the gauze on your back and someone just hooked your legs back up. No, 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 no. Yeah. And the last time this happened was during the election campaign and she was out. Like it took a couple of weeks. I even think that he says like, you need weeks to recover. And she's like, I don't have weeks. And so just, yeah, really interesting. But she Um, has all this equipment to sterilize scalpels and uh, in her apartment. No, of course not. Yeah. Um, It looks like he has a soldering iron that she always has that. Sure. Sure. And her wheelchair has handles. What do you think about that? I just noticed that. I did not notice that. Thank you. It's for very tiny, that. but uh, yeah. The Barbara Gordon I know has pointed out numerous times that she doesn't want a wheelchair with handles because she wants to propel herself and not have anyone help her. Yeah. But this is not the Barbara Gordon I know. Yeah. And I understand that, um, you know, someone may be watching this, listening to this and be like, you know, why don't you critique the book in front of you and not the book that you'd like to see? Okay, I'm doing both. Yeah. I, I, I th- yeah. I mean, I, how could anyone, yeah, potentially look at this and, no, and be like, this, yeah. this isn't totally about, I want the character to be different. This is also about the characterization is not consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I also just really hate this line where she is Joker did me in again and her and that posture and everything um which it's counter to what they're saying that she survived everything and that she has overcome this trauma and she's the i think cbr or somebody comic book said something about she's the strongest member of the bat family well i don't know about this there she's moping around and yeah so Mm-mm. Yeah, Joker did me in again. That bothered me too. Um, again, because if what was supposed to be so great about the previous issue is that yeah. she's victorious. Yeah. Um, and also, if uh, other times that she has faced the Joker, you know, classic Barbara facing the Joker after her paralysis, there's one particularly resonant part of Birds of Prey. This is, you're not going to get to this for a while, but. He said he says something to her like, I took your legs, I took everything from you. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of gives him this look and goes, You took nothing from me, you know? And then she proceeds to not only beat him up, but beat him strategically as well. Yeah. You know, that's this Barbara is not doing that. But she could have been. Mm-hmm. There could have been a way for her to not just lean into the Luke hug, but to say, Yeah, that was a tough situation, but I'm still here. He didn't beat me. Mm-hmm. Do you take issue with the fact that she needed help in order to do this surgery or is it just Luke? I don't have a problem with Luke as a character. I just didn't understand why she called him. Mm -hmm. 
And I just thought that if, again, if in the last issue you're setting it up like Gordon's don't give up and all that business, then I thought if you're going to go down this road, you, you, it would be an interesting story to go down it by she is going to totally do it herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no one she can rely on, right? She can't call anyone in the Bat family. She can't yeah. trust James Jr. Her father is absent. All right. Well, I'm Barbara Gordon. Gordon, don't give up. I'm going to put a mirror behind me and I'm putting this thing in my back. Yeah. So a potential positive is that maybe we're opening the door to Oracle since we're really stating concretely that this is the last time that this sort of thing can happen. Do you think this is realistic? Is this just me wish fulfillment uh, that that Oracle could could be on the on the doorstep, the threshold? Yeah, I'm not holding my breath. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I would like to see that. And I would be happy for Luke Fox to be, I think Luke Fox is a perfectly fine character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be happy for him to be around yeah, and be part of her circle and yeah. be Batwing or whatever. But um, just there's a lot going on in this issue. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because as I was doing my research, I completely forgot about Joe, the now wife of Alicia. So it just goes to show you that she did have a pretty good cast of different characters and it was just like thrown out there. And then when someone comes back, you're like, Oh wow. It, 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 I think reinforces how much of a hole or a void she has in that life of, of minor characters and and a cast surrounding her. Yeah. It was kind of like when the, when um, Gail Simone's Batgirl run started and she, her, her circle, particularly of the birds was just gone. And she just was sort of lonely and trying to figure out who she was in this new life that Mm. she had. Um, And so I guess the issue I have overall is that was appropriate for that run, trying to figure out how to become Batgirl again. It's nine years later. Yeah. And she's still trying to figure out how to become Batgirl. Yeah. I'm bored. Yeah. Same. Do something else with this character. Yeah. I think you and I should team write a book. (laughs) <laughs> okay we can be the the second tier benson sisters <laughs> uh my last point is about this and the communication that she has with the men in her life so her dad is texting her saying i signed you up for some physical therapy i think it will help i'm sorry i haven't been around i'm going to change that jason keeps blasting her hello how are you okay maybe you need space and then JJ, who had said something before, says, what the hell, Babs, answer me. Answer me. I just want to talk. So I just wonder about the presentation of the men in her life. They, they seem whiny, clingy. I said incapable. I Maybe we could say that. But is it poor characterization? Or is this meant to like lift Babs up that, look at these men, aren't they annoying? But Babs, she's doing okay on her own. What do you think? Well, I guess... They're trying to show that she has this men, these men in her life, but they all are serving different roles. Mm. Her father has been absent, but is trying to be more present. Jason is trying to be present, but is willing to respect her and give her space. JJ is just a jerk who only thinks about himself or possibly a sociopath or possibly he's all better. We don't Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So I think that this can be an attempt to show that there are these different things happening and these people all have different personalities and fit differently into her life. Um, To me, it just felt like this is just showing me she has no friends. Yeah. I mean, I think that I thought it was 
as much as I would like to see her just like hang out with Dinah and the birds, I was pleased when um, Alicia and Joe and Frankie were invented Mm -hmm. because I thought these seem like they could be interesting characters. They each bring something different to the table and she's got a circle now. Yeah. Like a regular person. But uh, so that's unfortunate, I think. Yeah. And Kadir and Kadir's sister? Was it like Nadia? I can't remember what her name was. I want to say Nadima, but it might be. Oh, you might be right. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Forgot about them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I know. So did all the writers. Yeah, I would have liked to keep them too. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think probably what they're going for is these are these men in her life, but they're more difficult for her to deal with. And plus, she's totally independent and she's got this. Yeah. So it's like terrible, terrible, terrible. I've just had major surgery. And then the next page Mm -hmm. is like, I'm, this is the greatest thing ever. I love jumping off a roof, which if you just had back surgery and regained the use of your legs, I don't know. Yeah. And you just read all these texts from these men in your life that are pressuring you, but I'm jumping off a roof. I'm good. Yeah. Well, she loves a thrill as, as we, we hear. Yeah. Uh, I just noticed on the back of her boots, she's got the, what is that? I don't know. That's the first time I've ever seen it. I do not recall it before. It kind of looks like a gargoyle foot or something. Yeah, like an extra maybe toe. Supposed, maybe it's supposed to be like a Hermes um, sample. Oh, yeah, but I, I don't, don't know what functional purpose that would be unless she's like X-23 and can stab people from the back. I don't know. Do a Chuck Norris roundhouse kick. That would be interesting. Yeah, I just, you know, Jason is, my gosh, I just feel like he's clingy and... I wish he were more capable. I mean, I don't really want them to be together anyways, but just the the texting, it's just, who are you? You need to drop this guy, Barbara, in my opinion. But James, oh, I, mean, I feel like he's off kilter. You can yeah. kind of see that. So Yeah. But is it, re- is it, I don't know if Jason is really the problem. I mean, she's, she makes no sense. <laughs> I don't true. know why she hasn't been fired. From Thank America. you. She's only a volunteer, so she should have been fired. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Do you think Batman should fire her? Might be the one time that I might want him to. Who knows? And then, you know, look at, are you intrigued? Are you ready to keep reading two more issues with this image? I am interested to know who this person is and okay. who planted her there. I but don't think I, she's anyone. I think it's just the body. I wouldn't have read 47 and 48 if I were not yeah. here with you. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Two more issues, Stella. Two more issues. Okay. Uh, well, out of 10 bats, what would you give this issue? Because here we are, ma'am, at the rating. You go first. I'm going to give it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let me think of this. I think I gave the other one a two. I, I'll give this one a two as well. Uh, the reason why it's not a one is because, well, this is hard. Maybe I should give it a three because the Joker's not in it. Eh, I don't know. It's not as offensive, but it's bad. So I'll split the difference. 2.5. And mostly the high grade is because of Robbie Rodriguez's art. The Joker is in it. Yeah. Well, I meant in the case of like, this is all about the Joker. So no, I get it. But not only is not just the dance page, but like you, we were saying on that flashback page, I mean, it's full on killing joke with the hat and the Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) And the sister's. Uh, anyway, um, I'll say two. Okay. Okay. There you go. There you have it. So I don't know what that other person was thinking. 3.5 out of five. Is that an 80? 80%? That's a high grade. 
I gave it a 25%. It's a seven out of, what, 3.5 out of five. Oh, you're right. It's a 70. Thank you, ma'am. You're like the other half of my brain. Okay. Well, now over to Chris's cornucopia of curiosities. Uh, that's like summer coming to a close when you feel like it just started. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, bad fans. Welcome once again to the Chris's cornucopia of curiosity segment. Thank you very much for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you. Today, I'm reviewing Batman Adventures numbers 34 through number 36, as this is a three-part story, closing out the run of this volume title, taking a quick look at Batman The Adventures Continue, number three, and in the Nightwatch segment, Nightwing, number 73. Batman Adventures numbers 34 through number 36 were cover dated August through October 1995 and cover priced at $1.75 each. For these issues, we have a creative team of Kelly Puckett as the writer, and Ty Templeton was the writer on issue number 36, Mike Parabek was the penciler, Rick Burchett was the inker, and Rick Taylor was the colorist. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. This story was reprinted in the Batman Adventures trade paperback of Volume 4 and does appear to be available on the DC Comics app for $16.99 for the entire trade itself, however, not the individual issues. A summary of Batman Adventures number 34. In Memoriam, Hugo Strange is working on a device called the Interference Pattern Scrambler, a device that knocks someone out and gives them short-term memory loss, while Strange himself suffers from near-debilitating headaches, including his wife Martha, the name Martha again, who tells him that he's overdrawn the bank account. The device needs a large quartz diamond to make it more functional. Meanwhile, Catwoman offers to have a candlelight dinner with Batman in her own style, asking Batman to forget who just who he is just for one night. Batman graciously refuses. Shortly thereafter, Batman meets Catwoman again during a diamond heist, and Strange is there, and the device is used on Batman, giving Batman short-term memory loss. Quickly thereafter, during a heist again for a larger diamond with both Catwoman and Batman present, Hugo again uses the device on Batman, knocking him unconscious and trapping Batman's memories inside of a diamond. The device overloads, and there is an explosion. Catwoman leaves, carrying an unconscious Batman over her shoulder, and takes out a diamond. Meanwhile, on New Year's Eve, Hugo is reliving the events the night his son David was shot and killed. Batman Adventures number 35. The Book of Memory. A delusional Hugo Strange wanders the Gotham streets, thinking people are either his son David, or he rants about Rupert Thorne. Meanwhile, Catwoman studies an unconscious Batman laying on her bed, and crafts a costume similar to hers for him to wear. Batman wakens and he has no memories of being a crime fighter, and has no recollection of his parents' murder, and joins Catwoman on her crime sprees as an agile and effective partner. Robin intervenes during a heist, and manages to trigger some of Batman's old memories, and takes him back to the Batcave, where his childlike mind is still intact, as he looks around and thinks it's all, quote, cool. Batman Adventures number 36, The Last Batman Adventure. Batman, still with a childlike brain, and Robin pay a visit to Dr. Carl Rossum. Rossum fills in any missing plot points for the reader up till now. Uh, David's death at the hands of mob men who killed David when Strange wouldn't create a device for them, and Strange using the device to forget about David's death, and Rossum agreeing to help Batman if he can find a large enough diamond. Batman goes to Catwoman's place and asks Catwoman for a diamond. She agrees to give Batman a diamond only on the condition that Batman will look away during her future crimes. Batman hates this bargain, but he agrees to it, saying that he will never forgive her. Batman returns to Rossum's lab, and Batman's memory is restored. A crazed Doctor Strange makes his way to Rupert Thorne's, and while delusional, 
Strange kills one of Thorne's men. Batman and Robin arrive, Hugo surrenders, and asks for Batman and Robin's help while Thorne calls the cops. Catwoman summons Batman to a rooftop and gives Batman back the ring that Batman stole for her while he was under her influence. Batman doesn't remember any of it, nor the bargain they made giving her any special treatment. This suits Catwoman just fine as she kisses Batman on the cheek and departs. The end. My notes, first the good. This is an excellent depiction of Catwoman here, how she's drawn and how she acts. Her affection for Batman, well, then thinking of herself first, then later thinking of what is best for Batman. The candlelight dinner scene was perfection. Uh, the not-so-good, Dr. Hugo's depiction. On the one hand, he doesn't seem like the cunning and effective villain that I've come to know. I think the inclusion of his family was to make us sympathetic towards the character, and I don't know if that quite landed for me. I've never had any sympathy for him in the past based on his actions. I don't know if the killers of Strange's son were ever brought to justice while reading this in my haste, or if Thorne indeed was directly responsible, as it was just mentioned as mob men prior. And if so, why hasn't Batman or anyone caught David's killer or killers? Carl Rossum appeared in the Batman the Animated Series episodes Heart of Steel's Part 1 and 2, his Silicon Soul, and the film Deep Freeze. He also created the Hardack computer. This comic book series has been notorious for being a quick read, but not these particular issues. They forced the reader to think a little, and some of the plot points weren't initially clear. I think it could have benefited with some info, either on the cover or in the interior, that this was going to be a story told in three issues. The latter two issues offered no story recap, so if you missed a previous issue, you may have been a little lost. The Catwoman scenes really landed for me, especially seeing Batman as her partner briefly. This series is then going to be relaunched as... The Batman and Robin Adventures. And with all of that, I'm going to give Batman Adventures number 34 and number 36 a solid 8 out of 10 bats, and issue number 35, 8.5 out of 10 bats. Now, for everyone's favorite segment within a segment, it's Nightwatch. This is where I look at the current Nightwing title from a shipper's perspective. At the time of this recording, Nightwing number 73 is the current issue, with writer Dan Jurgens and the art by Ryan Benjamin and Richard Friend. This is a Joker War Collateral Damage crossover. Spoilers ahead. Having been knocked out by hypnotized Nightwing in the previous issue, Batgirl awakens and finds herself upright and bound to a pole in the middle of a chain-link fence, surrounded by masked clown spectators. With false memories of the Joker as his mentor and father that Nightwing thinks is real, he attacks Batgirl and the cage match is on. Batgirl manages to free herself and delivers some blows in a bloody fight that comes between the two of them. Her efforts of talking to Nightwing, trying to get him to recall his actual memories, fail. The Joker, who's watching this fight, alludes that the Pennyworth Children's Hospital is still going down, whatever that means, but it can't be good, so Batgirl leaves the fight and heads over there. However, Punchline, having used a comlink seized from Batgirl's utility belt when she was unconscious, uses it to lure Tim Drake to the hospital where he's met by Jason slash Red Hood, and also met by Nightwing, well, I wonder how he got there so fast ahead of Batgirl, who tells the two of them that he's got his memory back, wrong, and that Batgirl has been brainwashed by the Joker, wrong, and a bomb is going to go off in the hospital and Batgirl must be stopped, to be continued. Whew, I had hoped that, well, perhaps predictably that somehow Batgirl would have turned the tables here, maybe knocked out Nightwing, and she could somehow restore his memory. But no, this is going to be dragged out a little bit more longer. Since we do have a scene with Batgirl really trying to help Nightwing, this did move my shipper needle more than the previous issue, where I could not in good conscience give it any shipper alert whatsoever. But the events here were somewhat of a blip, to be fair. 
And with that, I'm going to give this issue a whiff, repeat a whiff of a shipper alert. This concludes this edition of Nightwatch. And finally, a quick look at another book, Batman The Adventures Continue, number three, based on the old animated series. Spoilers ahead. Firefly isn't really Firefly, but a Deathstroke lackey. Deathstroke is a Lex Luthor lackey. Can Deathstroke kill Batman in 24 hours? Uh, no. And who is spying on everyone from the rooftops? Again, this isn't revealed. Eh, the bloom is a little off the rose for me by now. Uh, I'm still enjoying this book, but the subplot is wearing quite thin. Again, I do like seeing Batgirl here, but I'm going to give this a six and a half out of ten bats. Alan Burnett and Paul Denny were the writers on this one with Ty Templeton on the art. Listeners, don't forget, you can also find Stella on the Required Reading Podcast. I'd like to give a shout-out to my friends, the Stella Lens. Be sure to check out their fine podcast on the Rad Adventures Network. If you have any feedback for this segment or for the podcast, please head over to the Batman Universe website. And if you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website, which has news, features, and a fine family podcast, follow the links to Patreon or by making a one-time donation with a link on the Batman Universe homepage. Thank you for your support. Listeners, a programming note, this may be my last segment on the podcast for a while. I've been thinking of taking a sabbatical, and this may be an opportune time for me to do so. And perhaps in the meantime, take a break. <laughs> Reflect on the current state of the bad titles and assessing if they are to my enjoyment, and look at what other titles to possibly review, old and or new, down the road. I'd like to thank Stella very much for allowing me some space on her show, and to you, the listeners, for your continued support and encouragement and well wishes. Don't fail to listen to the next podcast. Same Stella feed, same Stella site. Thanks, Chris. And next up is the What Are You Wearing segment, which you already spoiled that situation. Yeah. So what I'm wearing, I actually literally was waiting to wear what I'm wearing until Carolyn was on here. So first of all, I've got the Bibi Yudu. Oh, so sweet. So and then cute. also I have Star Wars shirt. I can't tell what it is. <laughs> it's got little heads on it. Little heads. Heads of what? Heads of a Yoda. Oh. Trooper. There should uh-huh. be a Chewbacca. A Chewbacca and a Vader. So I tried to be uh, thematic. And if you can see right there, there he is. So he brings joy to our troubled uh, readings and things like that. I'm waving at him. <laughs> and. <laughs> You're about to take a nap. Okay. <laughs> now for everyone's favorite segment in this show, literature recommendations. So, Carolyn, what have you been reading? Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, what I read most recently is N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth Trilogy. Mm. The Fifth Season, The Obelisk Gate, and The Stone Sky. Each of those books won a Hugo, which is oh. unprecedented for every mm. book in the trilogy to win a Hugo. And I can totally see why. It started off for me a little slow, but it is so, so rewarding. I mean, it's just, it's about everything. It's exactly what speculative fiction should be. I mean, it, it tells you... It is very imaginative in where it is, while also telling us a lot of stuff about ourselves and the world that we live in. So, I mean, I could not recommend it more highly. Um, I would also recommend her current Green Lantern comic, which is Far Sector. Have you read that at all? No. No? Okay. Yep. So that's pretty good, too. Very good. And speaking, um, you know, so Far Sector... Geez, I don't remember what number it's up to, but it's pretty self-contained. And another self-contained comic that I want to recommend is Gene Luen Yang and Guru Hero's Superman Smashes the Clan. 
this is just it's it it is the kind of book that reminds you why Superman is so great <laughs> and what Superman is supposed to stand for mm-hmm. and it's about it, it's kind of about everything too but it's it's really about uh Superman standing up for the little person as he always does great art um and a great story in terms of fiction I also read uh Viet Tain wins the sympathizer which is a I mean, on paper, it's about a, a Vietnamese man who is kind of a double agent for, um, you know, both sides in the Vietnam War, I guess is the best way to put it. But it goes kind of up through the present day. So there is there is political stuff in there, but it's really just more, it's more about humanity. And it's also about representation, and it's about immigration, and it's, it's about all kinds of things. I think it won the Pulitzer which was totally deserved. Um, and I, and lastly, I want to recommend this year's Eisner Award winner for academic scholarly work, which is called EC Comics, colon, Race, Shock, and Social Protest by Kiana Whitted. And it's really about how some early EC Comics um, horror ones uh, in particular and crime ones really kind of in some ways had sort of more progressive things to say about race and about empathy than a lot of the peer comics that were out at the time. And then I do feel like I, I, it's sad I had to actually write this down. I would have forgotten if I hadn't. And that's just to say again, that I would kind of recommend my own book that just came out, which is called Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, Militarism and Feminism in Comics and Film. Um, and, I, and if you are going to get it um, right now from the, on the publisher's webpage, Rutledge, it's cheaper than Amazon. The ebook is $17 on the Rutledge page, and it's $10 to rent it for six months, which is basically like two comics. What have you got to lose? And again, uh-huh. nobody buy the hardcover. Tell uh-huh. your library to Tell your library to buy the hardcover. Don't buy the hardcover. Oh, interesting. I wonder if they would. How expensive is the hardcover through the publisher? Right now it is $48 instead of cover price of $60. Yeah, cheaper. Okay. Yikes. Honestly, don't do that. Okay. Okay, so here we go. I read, I had to start my notes as always. What's the last one that I mentioned? So here's one that many people praise. And I'm always suspicious of those. It was okay. It's called Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia oh. Owens. Have you heard of this? I have heard of it. And I, it's kind of on my list of things I should read because people yeah. say I should read yeah. it. Is it good? Uh, it, was, it was okay. I mean, you, you should form your own opinions. It wasn't, you know, when people are like, oh, it's so good. I didn't have that feeling for it. Like Nightingale, which you should read by Kristen Hand. I mean, that's the one. Yeah. But anyways, uh, for years, rumors of the Marsh Girl have haunted Barkley Cove, a quiet town on the North Carolina coast. So in late 1969, when handsome Chase Andrews is found dead, the locals immediately suspect Kia Clark, the so-called Marsh Girl. But Kia is not what they say, sensitive and intelligent. She has survived for years alone in the marsh that she calls home, finding friends in the gulls and lessons in the sand. Uh, And it does go back and forth because you see her grow up. And she's on her own from like year 10, 10 years old. And she can't read. And then someone teaches her how to read. And she actually ends up publishing a book on the native creatures and things around there. 
And then you find out about this uh, this murder. She's yeah, it's investigated. Rick Steeds Europe through the back door by Rick Steeds. That was fun. I mean, I'm trying to finish my Rory Gilmore's list, so that was on there. And it's weird out of context to read all of this stuff. So if I decide to do European travel, I will definitely pick that up again. A comic story was Marvel's Spider Man, so based off of the video game, The Black Cat Strikes by Dennis Hopeless. Then Twilight. So in the previous episode, I said that I rewatched all of the Twilight films and I found out by accident that 10 years, the 10 year anniversary, I'm not sure when that would have been. Stephanie Meyer. Oh, I guess it would have been 2016. There you go. Stephanie Meyer rewrote it kind of, and she gender flipped all of the characters. This is called Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined. And there's a bit of a twist at the end as well. So all of the characters from Twilight have the opposite gender, with the exception of Bella's parents, Renee and Charlie. They keep their own, their same genders because she considered that women, mothers often get custody over men. So it wouldn't make sense for like that to all of a sudden change unless there was a, a good reason. So it's Beauford, Beauford Swan, and Edith Collins. <laughs> so that was funny. Then I read The Only Wife That Mattered, The Short and Merry Lives of Anne, Bonnie, Mary Reed, and uh, Jack Rackham, but I think it's Calico. Yeah, Calico Jack Rackham by James L. Nelson, a.k.a. Elizabeth Garrett, uh, the pseudonym formerly published as, which is about those pirates, which was exciting because I had recently watched Black Flag. Okay, here we go. Fly Away by Kristen Hanna, which is the sequel or part two to Firefly Lane. I can't really talk about it because it will spoil the first one, but just know that it's really, really sad for a great amount of it, and then it gets up at the end. And so I've been working at an oncology clinic now. I'm kind of a bouncer, a, a COVID bouncer, if you will. And uh, someone, I can read a lot because I just have to ask them questions. And someone asked what I was reading, and I had to explain, oh, this is part two. And I said, you have to be careful with the author because the author makes you run through the emotional gamut. And she said, yeah, I'm trying to read uplifting things. And I was also thinking, yeah, I'm working at an oncology clinic. I don't know that I would recommend Kristen Hanna for some of these people. I reread Macbeth, which you can catch on Required Reading. That will come out in September by William Shakespeare. And then our final one is Willa of the Wood by Robert Beatty. And I really like Robert Beatty for his Serafina series. So I, I gave this one a shot. I like Serafina still, I think, a bit more. But this one was nice. And it has, I felt like, some themes of uh, individualism versus collectivism in a group and society and conservationism. And, yeah, so it follows this girl, Willa, who's a Farin. F-A-E-R-A-N, I think it is. And it's during the 1900s in the Smoky Mountains. Mm -hmm. So, And Serafina took place at, in, at the Biltmore Estate, so it's always around there. And then now we have – no, I have not finished this. But we are now going to perform a scene based off of a texting conversation that we've had. Let's see what you can do here. But it's because of this book that Carolyn recommended to me, and I, and I trust her. So I listened to her recommendations called City of Girls – by Elizabeth Gilbert. You ready for it to conduct this scene? <clears throat> Carolyn, I'm reading City of Girls, and this is my thought. Angela, the, you know, Angela's talking, Angela. Vivian, now that my father is gone, I would like to know what your relationship is with him. Vivian, well, Angela, let me tell you my life story. And then you said what? I said she is answering the question. 
<laughs> okay. And then I said, Carolyn, that would be like if you asked me to tell you about Barbara Gordon and I said, well, let me tell you about the first time I read a comic. Yeah. <laughs> that is answering the question. Oh, man. I am not finished. I have it, three and a half hours left, it says on my audiobook. Oh. It's okay. still... It's still, well, where I am now, I'll give you context since you read it. She has returned to New York. It's after World War II, and she has just started the wedding dress shop with her friend. That's when I ended today. So still nothing. And, I mean, she mentions to Angela. Angela popped up. She's like, Angela, you probably know all about this. I'm like, how does she know? I don't, uh, I'm just waiting for whoever this is. I don't normally, but I have to say I would almost choose the audiobook over the book book because the actress is amazing. Oh. Uh, just her sense of humor, how she presents everything, and when her voice goes up into a higher register with some things, it's it's really fun. So I highly recommend that. But uh, I'm having fun with it so far. I mean, you could have warned me about the threesome, but you... <laughs> I, I, it didn't make much of an impact on me because I guess not. it really did not have that much to do with the, with the main threads. What do you mean? It broke up. It basically sent her home to uh, Northern New York. No, it's, it's, I didn't mean it that way. I mean, oh. that at the actual event itself is oh. not that important, right? What it's important is what's important about it is that she gets sent home yeah. and it's telling you something about the mores of the time and whatever, yeah. but the actual thing is not that big of a deal. Yeah, I get that. Luckily, I'm not re- listening to it on speakers so people can hear all this <laughs> stuff, but I am enjoying it. Well, thank you for your literature recommendations. And we are now wrapping this up. So we've already heard twice now what your new book is. Where can people? <laughs> well, I said it at the beginning, you said it again. But where can people find you and support you? Um, well, if people want to get hold of me, the best thing is email, which is my last name and first initial, C at oldwestbury.edu. And as Stella may have mentioned once or twice, I do have a Twitter account, which is at Carolyn Coca, but honestly, I never use it. I mean, I will occasionally look to see if anybody has mentioned me and like, like I should contact that person. So if you do that, I will see it eventually, but I'm, I'm not going to tweet. Yeah. I think, I feel like I might be the only one who consistently mentions you on Twitter, even though I know that you're not going to respond. That's actually not true. I do. It does. It does happen more than you think, but I can say that it's because of Stella that I broke my years old seal yeah. What was that? What did you do? I hit the like button. <gasps> yep. First time. I swore I would never do that either, but I figure, okay, okay, I will, just for Stella, I will use the like button. That was, that's crazy. Uh, I hope you can contain yourself and not go further. I don't know. Now that I've broken the seal, who knows what might happen. Indeed. I'm just going to like stuff all over the place. <laughs> okay. The anarchy. Cats and dogs living together. Who knows? Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll wrap it up. So remember, you can send any questions or comments to backroll to oracle at gmail.com or contact Carolyn about anything that you may find reprehensible that she said here. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher, like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at backroll to oracle. Subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version, which you will get with my laugh and you can see me laugh. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well and support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to my high comments 
Thanks for sponsoring Back Row the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. I honestly have no idea what's going to happen next. I feel like it's Donovan for Ghost and Back Row, Ghost slash Back Row. I don't know what it's called. But if I can get my stuff together, I might be able to talk to you later this month about your new book. Well, uh, I'm around. Like everybody else, I am not leaving my house. Yeah. So my time is pretty flexible. Okay. So yeah, I'll figure out. How many pages is it? Oh, I should have mentioned oh. it's, it's a short book. It's part of this new series of short books that oh. they're trying to like turn around more quickly. So sure. they're more timely. So it's 100 pages. Wow. Now, now that 48 to $60 seems exorbitant. Okay. Interesting. That's for libraries. <laughs> How many if, chapters does it have? If you count the introduction and conclusion, it's five chapters. <gasps> That's so really, the core of it is three chapters. Okay. So you might be seeing Carolyn again. And on that one, we'll be having a serious and professional tone. No laughing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, until then, whatever happens. Fly on, Beth lovers. <laughs> Just plain Barbara Gordon. Masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? <laughs>